I, I'm one of those people that believes everything happens for a reason, right? And when the lockdown happened, it kind of gave us a time to kind of get away from each other again. I kind of noticed like, you know, this is starting to get to the point where it's not like making me feel like I'm having fun anymore. Hello, my fellow Martians. My name is Harry Mars, and this is the On Mars Pod, where we take a deep dive into creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and other inspiring Martians alike. And then right after that, we just hit the ground running shows, tour, shows, shows, all of that. It was like, it felt real. It was almost overwhelming. It felt like, what do I do now? I kind of felt like I lost my identity for a little bit. All three of us were in agreement that we wanted to put new material out instead of hitting the road again, and they didn't like that. Hello, my fellow Martians. Today on Mars, we are joined by a recording artist, musician, and one of my good friends that I haven't seen in so many years. I appreciate you coming on. Everybody, welcome. Greg Olin. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, man. It's been a long time and it's uh, we were just catching up before and it, it feels like we didn't miss a beat. So it's good to be here today. 100%, dude. I appreciate that a lot. And I found that with a lot of my good friends, mm -hmm. it's always like that. Like it could yep. be years and years and years. When I see them, it's like no days have passed at all, yeah. man. So I, I really appreciate friendships like yours, man. And um, if anyone doesn't know, Greg is part of the band Westland out here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Go check them out. So they recently came back on the scene after taking a little bit of a hiatus, mm -hmm. but they've been a band for over 10 years now. Yeah, that's correct. That's Started insane. in 2013. It's crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, I cool. uh, I met Greg in I think uh, sixteen or seventeen. I yeah. think is what it was right when right uh, right. when I was working with teammate Marcus, mm -hmm. Marcus Reardon, episode two. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, Greg and and Marcus were friends, and then we ended up hanging out because bands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just you know in the scene. Yeah, yeah. just like going to parties and stuff together and all that stuff. But yeah, we got we got a good rich history we so do i'm a so stoked one. yeah <laughs> to get into this yeah so um on mars we take a deep dive into creative mm -hmm. professionals entrepreneurs and other inspiring martians alike mm -hmm. so that's why i wanted to have you on here man because you fit those boxes in a couple different ways so just uh again means a lot that you came on but i want to start off with you know early days i usually like to give a little bit of an origin yeah. in a way like uh did you grow up in in arizona yeah, born and raised. Uh, my mom's actually from Brazil. Okay. So I uh, uh -huh. I'm fluent in Portuguese, which a lot of people don't know. Damn. Um, yeah, and then my dad, he was from uh, Brooklyn and, and grew up in Long Island, and, and they had met. And uh, But I was born and raised here in uh, Phoenix my entire life. So did they meet in New York? No, they met in Brazil. He, yeah, bro, he was on a business trip. And he, <laughs> you know, you're on a business trip in Brazil. I mean, what are you going to do, right, I guess? So yeah. he, he met my mom. And uh, I was conceived in Brazil, but luckily I was born here in the States. Dang. So is your mom Brazilian? Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. She's wow. got a thick accent. Yeah. Dang. So she talked to you in Portuguese when you Only were a Only when kid? she's mad at me. No. Her, <laughs> she's she's pretty good with English. Um, that's our primary language. But when she's upset, she'll start throwing that Portuguese out at me. Which so how cool. did you become fluent then? Um, she, she talked a lot on the phone, um, as I guess most people you know, f foreign parents do. And I would kind of pick up on it. So I kind of, and then my, I have an older brother that uh, was born in Brazil. 
um, a half brother, and uh, they spoke Portuguese. So I just picked up on it, and uh, I just it, I think when you're young, you can really be a sponge for other languages for sure. Um, and and that kind of actually made it easier for me to obviously learn Spanish. Yeah. So I'm trilingual. <laughs> Dang, dude, that's yeah. what's up. No, I learn something new every day. I didn't yeah. know that, bro. That's insane. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. Mm-hmm. Like when you're immersed. Uh, oh, yeah. Like the immersion thing mm-hmm. where it's just people using it around you and not necessarily super formal, like yeah. getting taught in school, mm-hmm. because usually that just goes right over or like r- in one ear, out the other. Like mm-hmm. people that were in Spanish for four years <laughs> can't even speak it now. Yeah. It's like, but the people that grew up with their grandparents or their parents talking it to them, they're the, the ones that actually retain that information. Yeah. And it's natural. Yeah. Yeah. So then growing up in Arizona, mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about like musical influences yes. and what was being played around the house yeah. and what what were they listening to that inspired you back in the day? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's it brings back such fond memories because when I was a kid, I just remember my, you know, being in the backseat of my parents' car and my dad was just always listening to 100.7 KSLX, right? What is that? The Valley's classic rock. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I'm a walking poster child. So I I grew up a lot on that classic rock stuff, right? Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, Paul McCartney, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. They just, for whatever reason, it just clicked with me. Um, And ironically, the first concert I ever went to was to see Def Leppard. No way. (laughs) I might have been eight or nine years old, like fourth grade maybe. And uh, I was obsessed with them because I thought it was so cool. Their drummer had one arm. Wow. So I, I told my dad, like, I want to see them. And he, he got us tickets. And my first concert was seeing Def Leppard, right? One of the most, you know, awesome 70s and 80s rock bands ever. So yeah. I think that that moment was just like, wow, I really love this stuff. And and then as I got older, um, <clears throat> being influenced by like that music my dad listened to, he always had a really cool like vinyl record collection, uh, mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac and stuff. And then I kind of got into like, you know, the the Motown era as I got older. I really liked The Temptations, Marvin Gaye. Yes. Um, and then that as as I got older, you know, that kind of transformed into like more R and B and and stuff like that. So I, I can like with confidence say that I am one of those people that likes pretty much everything. Country, R and B, classic rock, jazz, you, you name it. I just love music. Dude and those artists that you're naming are legends. Um, yes. So it's just like all of these people are classic yeah. artists. And this is when music was like real instruments. Yes. Super tight vocals. Yeah. And like everything was very, yeah. uh, it was different. It was a different industry. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that stuck with me even as I kind of got into the music business. You know, I've always like, and the cool thing about Westland, which you mentioned was, you know, Jared and Kevin, they also kind of somehow had the same influences, right? Yeah. They talk about when they were younger, listening to classic rock with their dad and their, you know, parents. Um, so I think that was a common bond that we all shared. But yeah, that definitely influenced my love for music. Absolutely, man. And your creation of music too, oh, like when sure. you went to, when you went into writing music mm-hmm. um, and that kind of segues into when did you... Uh, start learning instruments or when did you realize that you wanted to start writing music? This is actually a pretty cool story. Um, And I hope I won't take up too much time with this one, but you're good. So my dad got me a guitar and I was about nine or 10 and he came home with a, I'll never forget it. I, I wish I still had it, but you know, you lose things over time, but it was a black and white Yamaha ripoff of a Stratocaster. Yes. And it was so cool because, right, like it was like, oh, this is what Jimi Hendrix used to play. So I'm actually left-handed. Oh, so the same. So yeah. he, so he, um, 
he was like, just flip it upside down like Jimi Hendrix did. Yeah. yeah. And that really wasn't working for me. But I, I would play around with it a little bit, right? And I had that for about a year or two. And I would pick it up and, and play. And I remember having VH1 on when they'd actually play music, mm-hmm. right? The Back, videos. Yeah. yeah, right? Like it was actually about music. And uh, I would like stand in front of the TV and just strum away, not playing any chords or anything like that. But I could tell like this was so cool. Like I wanted to do this, right? Yeah. So then, like, I don't know what happened, but when I was around 12 or 13, I kind of like lost that love for the guitar. I wasn't doing it as much. But across the street, literally right across the street from me was my childhood friend, David, who I will preface it with this, actually recorded Westland's first EP oh. in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, mustache. mustache. Yeah, yeah, David. Shout out to my boy, David. <laughs> yes. He's still doing the music out in Nashville today, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But yeah. So, so anyway, so at that same period, he had gotten a guitar and was like, I love it. I'm going to get into this. So I remember going over to his house around this time and getting back into it with him. So we kind of started really playing guitar that same day together. And I, for whatever reason, like it's so vivid in my mind. I remember sitting with him at his desk. He had his guitar and I had mine. And we were just learning like super easy stuff together. Yes, dude. So isn't that crazy? Full circle, right? 100%. I so, mean, being kids. Oh, we, we grew up, literally, we were born a month apart and our moms were friends, right? And uh, I just think it's so funny we both ended up in the music scene. For right? sure. So. Dude, I love that it's like goes back to those roots yeah. where it was always this like passion that yeah. you guys shared together. And yeah. then you kind of had like parallels where like yes. you guys just kept going and kept staying hungry, kept learning and... Yo, yeah. that's amazing. 30, I mean, early yeah. on, did you guys write music or were you just playing covers and stuff like that? We like were as just, kids? Yeah, we were learning. So we were learning like classic rock songs. Like I remember one of the first things we learned was from uh, the Eagles. He he liked one of the Eagles songs. So I was trying to learn it. And he was actually a lot better than me. He was advanced and I was getting frustrated because I was like, <laughs> dude, how are you better than me? We literally started on like the same day. I actually got my guitar first. Yeah. Like this is bogus. <laughs> it's my thing. Yeah. And and to this day, I'm sure if he if he's watching this, um, you are still better that gets harder than me <laughs> but but that's a discussion for a different day set the record straight yeah. <laughs> so then uh so i guess because your dad bought you the guitar this kind yeah. of answers the question but like did they support the music yes. thing and did they always supported it from the beginning both your parents yeah and i'm really lucky to have that support because you know it's one of those things where you know some parents are like you know it can let it be a hobby. Yeah. That was never the case for me. I remember Good. that my dad got that guitar and and then I was like, I kind of, once I started wanting more, he was always supportive. He bought me a drum set, which uh, God rest his soul. I bet he regrets that. But he was always supportive. He would let me play whenever I wanted. He just said, shut the door and learn some cool songs. So yeah, I always had the support. And then even for my mom, you know, because she would always play like, um, she liked Eric Clapton a lot. And uh, when I started playing guitar, she's like, oh, learn this song for me, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah. I always had that support, which which really means a lot. And I'm really thankful for it. As a kid, it's so important, yeah. oh, man, sure. in those early days, because like you yeah. said, some parents that are say, yeah. like that say like, oh, yeah, it's cool, but yeah. you should be a doctor or a lawyer if yeah. you want to make a living and just do this on the side for fun. But yeah. it's it's so nice. And I feel like the, some of the most creative people that I've had on here, they all have that similar parallel to where their parents were very influential to them uh-huh. in a supportive way, Yeah, which um, I love that. I love hearing all of that too, because mm-hmm. it's the saddest thing ever when someone yeah. gets oppressed and they feel like they don't have confidence in themselves because they didn't have the, the support system growing Around up. Around them, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I love to hear that, man. 
man. Uh, so other than music, then growing up, was there any other loves or hobbies that you had um, before we continue on with the music? Stuff? You know, they tried to put me in sports a couple different times. They put me in soccer. And uh, I think that was the Brazilian heritage in me that <laughs> were like, maybe football. he could be in football. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, but it wasn't for me, man. I just, you know, I was always like a smaller kid and I, I, I felt like I just wasn't the most athletic. Then they tried baseball and I just, I didn't, I didn't like it. Yeah. What's funny though, is I love sports now. I love watching sports. I love losing money when I'm betting on sports. Um, but it just wasn't for me. I love losing money. Yeah, right? <laughs> my, my record on the sports book, it ain't good right now. But no, I, I love sports, but it just wasn't for me. It yeah. was always music that I don't know why it was something like special. Like I, I, I mean that, and I've heard people say that, but I mean that whenever like a song would come on that I actually felt an emotion from, it would like pull me in such a way. It was almost magnetic. Yeah, it was always music. Yeah. So even before you uh, were in the industry, oh, it was sure. just a love yeah. that you had. Even like yeah. just growing up, just because you just loved to hear it and feel the feelings, goosebumps, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, I remember I would get most excited like every couple times a month. My dad would take me to like. Uh, um, like Circuit City or Best Buy, Ooh, the throwback. Circuit City. Yeah, and we would buy CDs, right? He'd let me buy whatever I wanted. And uh, at this time, I'd kind of like really discovered I liked all kinds of music. And I remember him buying me like the Eminem CD, which was like so taboo because I was so <laughs> too young to have it. Which one was it? The, uh... the Marshall Mathers EP. Oh, yeah, wow. that crazy one, dude. Dang. It's a great album. Yeah. And uh, I remember him getting me that. And I was into like the doors for a period of time, just like such a wide variety of music. But it was always music that was just really capturing me. And I would sit in my room and just listen to these CDs and just take it in. And I loved it. Dude, I love that, man. And and that just kind of goes to show you that your early days end up playing into who you become like as, a, as an adult. Yeah. So it's it makes sense that all that, you know, all these things mm -hmm. that you're saying, it's like even the influences that you had around mm -hmm. you. I, it's so cool to hear mm -hmm. that. Um, so I want to move into when did you meet uh, Kevin and Jared? So it's weird, man. I always say that David was like my connector to all things art and music. So David the guy across the yeah, street yeah. from me who we learned guitar from, um, he became close friends with Kevin um, because they went to the same church. Okay. And I'm pretty certain, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they actually started playing at the church together. Mm. David was playing guitar and Kevin's always been a Drums. good drummer. Exactly. Yeah. So they started doing that. And the weirdest thing was, David will get a, a kick out of this and Kevin too. David wouldn't let me meet Kevin. He kind of kept us separate. <laughs> gatekeeping yeah kind of <laughs> and i think it's because i was like i wasn't really into the the church scene and kevin was kind of he was really into it and they were both like really you know dialed in with that and i was always kind of the wild child right so um he didn't let us meet for the longest time and finally he let us meet under these weird circumstances around music and he's like hey i got some gear i want to start recording music you can finally meet my friend kevin wow. and i met kevin and he was just the complete opposite of me i think he hated me because i'm so <laughs> outgoing and energetic and he's the most mellow you know quiet shy guy um so we were like two opposites it was like oil and water but it connected yo when when was this like what uh, how old are you guys oh boy this might have been my freshman year of high school okay wow so that was still early days. You guys were kids yes, still. Yes, yeah. we were still kids. Yeah. And then literally that same year, I met Jared. Someone's at my front door. I don't know. Some, somebody trying to sell me something. Tell <laughs> them to get out of here. Yeah, it's they, probably the IRS. They rang my doorbell. Looking for me, bro. 
<laughs> saw your car out front. They're I know like, they yeah. saw my, my I got my license plate, Grego. They saw me. They're like, <laughs> he's here. Let's go get the money from him. Well, you ain't getting it. <laughs> so, uh, so around that same time, you met uh, Jared as well. You said in he, high school. Yeah, we actually had a Spanish class together, and uh, I knew that was David and Kevin's friends. So I like went up to him. I was like, "Hey, you know David and Kevin?" He's like, "Yeah." And I was like, I'm Greg, I'm the other friend. He hasn't let me meet you yet. And I literally went up to him and goes, are you driving David home from school? Let me get a ride. I live across the street from him. So he was so cool, man. And he was just like, he just totally accepted me. And, and we kind of became like a crew. Wow. So you guys were just like a friend crew before you started a band together. Yeah. So I, what's funny though, is that David and Jared and Kevin were kind of starting to make demos and start writing together. And I wasn't really into it at that time. I was kind of like, at that time I was really into hip hop. Ooh, yeah. nice. And I was really into the hip hop and like beats and yeah. rapping and stuff. So I wasn't really too interested. I was still playing guitar a little bit here and there, but it wasn't something I was focused on. Right. Yeah. So at that time, when I found out they were starting to do this, I was like, hey, let me come over. We can start rapping or something, <laughs> yeah. like check it out. So they kind of had me around for a little bit, just kind of hanging around while they were making stuff. And uh, it's funny, David still has some of those old recordings and they were so bad. Dude, I mean, we yeah. were probably using like GarageBand. We, or like, not even, bro. I think like we were Audacity. in Audacity. Yeah, bro. <laughs> the free one, yeah. Yeah. So, and then kind of somewhere in between there, they started a band called Arcadia Sky, um, which actually did pretty well obviously in high school you it's easy to get support when you know yeah. oh there's a band let's go check them out so yeah seeing these kids every day exactly so, yeah. yeah so they started doing that and then they were like hey you're they're all kind of shy and they're like hey you're such an outgoing person you should be like our manager aka they wanted me to like sell their pre-sale tickets <laughs> which i was like cool i just want to be a part of it so i did and i was a hell of a manager bro. Yeah, hey dude hey so, that um, was your introduction into the industry that was it that was my first real step into it they were doing shows i would help them kind of get set up and stuff and uh, we did that probably for like two years, like junior and senior year. Um, we were doing that. And that's really when Jared started kind of like diving into the writing. Mm. And um, I could just see like a, like, you know, when you see like a, like a rocket ship, like I saw him excel yeah. with just writing and becoming more confident behind the mic and, and with his guitar. Um, so they did that for two years. And then David made the decision that he wanted to go into the conservatory for recording arts and he wanted to focus oh, on that. Crass, yeah. yeah, crass yeah. in the valley. So he did that. And it was kind of this weird thing where like, they were like, yeah, I don't know. It kind of fizzled out. Jared kind of did, started working on some solo stuff with Kevin because Kevin's always been Jared's drummer. Wow. I, I think till the day we die. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so the, like this friendship stems back to like, childhood yes. really i mean because yeah. you're, when you're in high school you're still kids We're so kids, it's yeah. like to be able to have that energy as like a group even mm -hmm. in those days it's it's that's a testament to you guys it's friendship right there oh, that yeah. you've been able to not only stay friends this long but like making music this whole yeah. time and grow with each other oh, and sure. the fact that you were able to see jared like turn this love into like a real burning passion and oh, yeah. start to become the front man that he is mm -hmm. today yeah. you know back in the days <laughs> that's cool man so yeah. then when was it that uh you know Westland started in 2013 i think yes so how uh, how late after that was, so was that this was an interesting time so we moved out of our places pretty much right when we turned 18 we, oh, like, nice. we gotta get out of here you know that angst of being a boy and, yeah. and wanting to get out so we finished high school and 18 um, years old yeah so we get out of high school david's finishing up at conservatory crass and he's like you know what i'm gonna make the move to nashville at 18 
Yeah, he stuck around for a year or two to kind of get ready for prepared for it. So he yeah. was kind of gunning for Nashville. And wow. he, he's been there ever since, which is awesome. So that's a testament to him and his his hard work. But huge. Yeah. So that during that time, Jared and me and Kevin kind of started making we moved in together and we had this condo in, in Tempe that we lived at. And uh we were broke, dude. We were going to college, we were broke, living there making music and uh, just drinking and and partying and, and writing songs. And um we had like Jared had started up like a side project um, that I thought was really cool. It was like really ambient and it was kind of different for him. And he started that up and he had me and Kevin, ironically, right? It's always been us. Yeah. <laughs> we, he had us helping out with it. And um, he kind of decided he wanted to take that to Nashville. So then he actually moved to Tennessee right around the same time with David and they actually went together. Whoa. Yeah. So then this is funny. So then me and Kevin be kind of, kind of became, it was just us, right? We're like, well, you know, we were living together at the condo still. And uh, I was like, well, I can't sing, but I can rap. <laughs> so, so Kevin. And you can play drums. Hey, so. Hey, what does that lead to? Making beats, bro. Kevin yes. made some fire beats, bro. Like, they were <laughs> so lit. And he was like, let's record them. So we, we started rapping and stuff. And we did that for a year or two. And it was just fun. I put a couple of things out. And um, they were lit, bro. Like, Do you I, still have them out on the internet? Yeah, dude. They're out there. On, they're on YouTube. They're <laughs> Under lit. Grego. Yeah, there's some stuff under Grego featuring like Jared. Um, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll have to like put some out there. We had a song called Jungle Party, bro. It was so lit. Dude, I'll put it. Uh, I'll put it in post. I'll yeah, put yeah, it. <laughs> put it in post. But David actually produced that for us, which was cool. Full circle once again. Yeah. So, anyway, the crew. Right. So let me fast forward. So me and Kevin are kind of hanging out, just partying and stuff, and, and rapping. And Jared reaches out to us and goes, "Hey guys, I'm moving back. Um, I'm just not catching my traction in Nashville. David's, you know, rocking it. He's got internships at a couple studios. I'm just not feeling it. I want to get back there." And this is like a 2-3 month period when we knew he was coming back, and I don't know what happened, but I was like, "Kev, I don't want to rap with you anymore. I want to like let's make some like I want to write something, like some real stuff that I can stand behind that like I'm emotional about." So I wrote a song with Kevin um it's never been released, but it's it's one of my most proud songs ever, like ironically. And um, he was so supportive and like, he was like, dude, this is really good. Yeah. Like you should show this to Jared when he gets back. So I played it to Jared, like literally the night, he, the night, the day he moved back, we met up at In-N-Out Burger because he had missed it because they don't have that <laughs> yeah, in Nashville. I was like, well, that's our spot. Let's go meet up. Yes. So I played in the car. It was like a really bad demo. And he was like blown away. He's like, bro, first of all, I didn't know you could sing. And I was like, I can't, but- <laughs> More Thanks. importantly, yeah. <laughs> right. More importantly, he's like, dude, these lyrics are crazy, bro. This is so good. So he's like, would would you be cool if like maybe I sang on it? I was like, for sure, that was my intention. I always wanted you to sing on it, right? So we started working on that, and then all around the same time, we started like making demos. And my mom, like, I was living back with my mom at this time, and we had this big spare bedroom that I turned into a studio. And we started pumping out songs. And one of the first songs we wrote to col uh, collectively was called Shiny Night, which was on our first EP. And um, so we did that and we started playing at coffee shops and stuff, Long Longs wow. and Tempe. Um, and it just felt right. Like it was like, dude, now I'm in the band. Now I'm actually playing guitar. Kevin's playing drums, Jared's singing and, you know, and playing guitar. Right. And um, it felt real. So we we put all the money we could together. Jared's mom, you know, kind of helped out and uh, sent us to Nashville, ironically, to go record with, with David. David. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Full story. Full <laughs> circle. Recorded at First Ave Studios in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, 
It was awesome. So this right. was the early days of Westland, yes. the origin of Westland. Yep. Were you guys called Westland from the beginning? Yeah, that was always the name. We had to think of a name and there was a street uh, not far from here in Tempe called Wesleyan. Near yeah, ASU. yeah, Wesleyan, yeah. We used to I've party and I, I had some friends that I would go hang out with and do some naughty stuff with. <laughs> and uh, when it came time to pick a band name, I was like, dude, let's just name it that street that we always pass by near ASU. And uh, we changed the spelling a little bit. Right. And uh, that's the name that we've always liked. Yo, I, I never knew that, man. I uh, I never put the two and two uh -huh. together. I've yeah. seen the street and like thought like, oh, that sounds like Westland. But I yeah. never thought that that was the actual. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny, bro? If you go on the internet now, like since 20, like 16-ish, there are so many people naming their daughters Westland. Like with our spelling, and what? I didn't. I feel like I should get some credit for that, you know. So <laughs> some royalties, bro. <laughs> something, dude. Like, come on. I started a trend. It's a beautiful name, though. And and whenever yeah. we see, like, uh, we have you know people that follow us and reach out, like, that's my name. I'm like, well, we were here first. But <laughs> it's a beautiful name, and, and neither here nor there, but dude. <laughs> yeah. But we we're really proud of the name, and, and yeah. we like it. Dude, I love that. And it's cool that it's always been that. Yeah. And also it's always been the core group. And yeah. I like that it all kind of stems back to mm -hmm. like the four of you guys, including yeah. Dave. Yes. Um, because that yeah. was something uh, you know, that was on the notes for uh, for for a little later, um, like working in Nashville. But I didn't realize that when you were working in Nashville, because I saw like when doing some research that like you were out there and you were yeah. in a like, professional studio and stuff. Yeah. I didn't realize that was with David. Yeah, he engineered so that's, it. That's sick, it. dude. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Um, so then when did you meet Adam? So right around the same time after our first EP, we started playing like crazy. We hit the ground running hard. And Adam was in another band at the time called Radio Drive-By. Right. And we just clicked with him. And he is the best guitar player I have ever encountered. Yeah, he's amazing. He's an amazing guitar player. And I really clicked with him because he, too, just really inspired by the classic rock music. Um, and he was always just down to get super drunk with me, which was awesome. <laughs> so we met up with Adam. And it kind of he was at a point where his band was kind of fizzling out. They all kind of wanted to go and do their own thing. And I was like, we need to scoop him up. Yeah. And get him because, you know, like, I, I'll be honest, like, I wasn't really playing much guitar until Westland again. And I, Jared was literally teaching me parts to play. Wow. So he would write. He would write the parts and, and then have teach, me teach yeah, me to yeah. play them literally like when we're rehearsing. And, yeah. and Jared, your patience for me is I owe that to you forever. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I, you are my best guitar teacher ever, Jared. So yeah. There you go. <laughs> so we, we got Adam to kind of take over that lead part so I could focus more on the rhythm and then Jared could kind of just put more emphasis on his singing. And we that's right when we started hitting the ground running and mm. started writing our next EP, which was the Black and Champagne EP. Ooh, yeah, yes, classic. Which changed, changed our lives. Um, so that was when Adam was officially part of the yes, group. Yes, yes, yeah, he helped so. write and record that album. Wow, man. Because I, uh, I feel like that that group of guys was yeah. like when I first met you guys when you were really at mm -hmm. that point. And yeah. that's when you guys were in it. Oh, you were boy. playing so Full many time. shows. And yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was for real. It was, uh, it was the... The full-time job that's what we were we were doing and then um we you know we signed that deal shortly after that damn man oh, shit that's that's insane yeah. um so uh before we talk about the deal because i definitely want to talk about yeah. like the being signed and getting mm -hmm. signed and kind of in yeah. that world mm -hmm. but um i wanted to touch on i saw something back in the day you got uh, in 2014 you got uh, a telecaster 
Yeah. Then that was like, oh yes, finally. Yeah. You know, and like Telecaster is one of my dream guitars. Yeah. And I just want to like ask you about like that. Like, what was it about the Telecaster that always, you know, that's that, so that you always wanted one? You do your research really yeah, well for dude. this, bro. I love that, of man. Course. You're you're the man at podcasting. <laughs> Shout out to, to you for that research. Thank yeah, you. Yes. So when it came time, this is right around that time when we were f- first starting to play out live a lot. And Jared was like, you because I was borrowing one of his guitars. Mm. And he had a telly, and I was like, this is not nice guitar uh, and uh nice i told my dad i was like hey dad I, I think it might be time i need a new guitar you want to help me out and he's like nah you're on your own for this one i bought you enough stuff and i was like all right fair enough so <laughs> i uh i went to guitar center and i i was looking at a couple different tellies the telecaster was just always something that caught my eye because of tom petty he's my all-time favorite um artist and uh, he was always playing like a telly yeah and beautiful. even mike campbell his guitar player was always pretty much on a telly and uh, I was like, this is what I want. You know, this is just that classic look. And uh, I found this Sunburst one up on the sev- the Guitar Center at the I-17. And I was so scared to go by myself. Jared came with me nice. and he helped me, you know, not get robbed at gunpoint. <laughs> and uh, we took a picture in front of that Guitar Center with that guitar. Yeah, I think that's the picture. Yeah. I'm going to put it, put it right here just yeah. <laughs> so people can see it. Because that's the, the photo that I saw where yeah. it's just like, it was almost like, yes, finally, like I got this guitar. You know, at that moment when I got that guitar, that's when like it was like okay i'm really gonna buckle down and really treat this like a craft yeah i started practicing me and jared would get together and just start working on stuff so that that really was a big moment when i got that telly dude i love that man i mean it's like that was uh i'm sure like your kid self was just like you made it i did you got the telly i got the made in mexico (laughs) telly bro let's do it man that's funny dude. i love that um so now let's get into uh being westland and getting signed and how did that happen like were you guys yeah uh, would you get like found at like a a show or something like that or what kind of did they approach you it was just fascinating how it happened so we were touring now at this point we were playing shows we were doing a lot of stuff in california nevada utah we did some stuff and ironically, Adam, who was in the group, had made a connection with uh, our first manager ever, Amy Rogers. Yes. And she, she's changed my life. I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for Amy. You know, her patience with me and just everything she did behind the scenes for me. Um, I could never repay you. So thank you. Yeah, she's the GOAT. She really is. And I love what she's doing out here in the, the Valley too. She's taking over the industry. I just swear in like five, 10 years, she's, she's going to be like, who's Warner Brothers? It's Amy Rogers. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. so, so we actually got booked. Um, for a, uh, a festival in Nevada that she was kind of helping put on. Adam had made a connection with her um, from his radio drive-by days. Right. Because she had known their band, I think, booked them a couple times. And he kind of helped us get this gig in, in Nevada. This and is when she was still living there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In the small town of, I don't even know, 400 people. Yeah. They booked this <laughs> this festival. And Amy, if you're watching this, that stage is still the biggest stage we've ever played on. They literally got a Coachella stage <laughs> for, for a 400. Play. Yeah, bro. It was lit, though. It was one of the be- yeah. awesome, Full most awesome production, shows. yeah. But she honestly booked that show, and that um, the money we made from that was actually used to record the Black and Champagne EP. So I, I, she, in a million ways, had made that album happen. So thank you. So so we we booked that show, and and her and I really hit it off. You know, she was so into the mu- the music scene that I would like the music I liked and the movies I liked, and we just hit it off. And um, you know, then I was like, you know, we've never really had a real manager. You know, you should be like in this. You booked this whole festival. You should be doing this. Like yeah. you're good at this. Um, 
So we made that connection. We came back here and, and started writing material and stuff. And then, you know, long story short, she ended up here in the Valley right. and was like, I'm here now and I want to help you guys. I really like your music and stand behind you guys. And I think you have what it takes. So she literally hit the ground running and was starting to make calls for us and stuff and pretty much had found um, a small group. It was a boutique label um, who wanted to sign a band and she thought we were just the most ready and had the most radio ready songs yeah. um, commercialized you know and um they gave us a deal so this is when she was with uh well had started square one creative management is that this like is right around that, that this or? was before that time yeah, yeah before she, it was like official yeah she was exactly. just getting her feet wet in a way exactly and yeah. she was managing us and kind of also the middleman between us and that label right um and that was a trip man like being able to say we got signed you know it obviously yeah. wasn't like sony or anything big like that but still to know that someone believed in us enough to put their bank behind it yeah was huge totally and um it didn't end ideally but we can get there but it, during that time it just changed everything you know at that time the focus was we can focus 100 percent on music we can right. write we can demo and we can go record wherever we want and wow. you know get whatever we need to make this happen so right around that time we were playing like crazy man i feel like me and jared and kevin were on the road and adam too we were just on the road constantly just any gigs we could get we were playing yeah and it was grueling and that's right around the time when i started you know really taking in that rock star <laughs> lifestyle right yeah. i was like i'm on a deal now who can stop me right yeah. so <laughs> um yeah so that's that's how that whole thing played out so then when you did get signed, I know you're talking about like we can record anywhere, but were you recording in like LA or were you like recording in different places? Like, were you actually like using their budget in that oh, yeah. kind of sense? Like <laughs> we were using their budget. Um, <laughs> but uh, when it came time to pick where we were going to take the Black and Champagne EP, there were a couple of options, actually. There was a two, two pretty substantial producers in LA that we were going to go to. But Jared wanted to keep it and we all agreed, and Amy did too. You could say some of it was because of the budget, but you know, I have expensive taste, right? So, so what? The recording budget, wait, it's got, it got, it got, you know, taken into a little bit. Sorry, um, but we ultimately made the decision to go with Dan Parker. Oh yeah, who is a rock star in his own right? You right, know, he right. was in, he was in some bands, and he's gotten to work with some really awesome artists. And um, he was local, and we wanted to do that. So Jared and we all met with him, and Jared just really always loved his take on production and vocals uh, specifically. And uh, so we recorded um, with him and they came out so good. Like, I yeah. feel like he took our vision at that time and just made it like perfect. And that was the first time you ever worked with an outside producer. Right. Because prior to that, you guys were recording your own demos, right? Right. And yeah. doing ourselves. With David, David yeah, who was pretty yeah. much in the band. You know what I yeah, mean? So for it, sure. he's, it, it's different to have that outside perspective. Yeah. And I think Jared really liked that because yeah. it kind of made, he took the songs to another level. Yo, I mean, I feel like that's a, uh, Per, like you feel like personally you guys leveled up at oh, that point yeah, you know definitely. what i'm saying where it's like yeah. we're in it now yeah, like this is did. industry yeah. like we're in professional studios yeah. like this mm -hmm. this guy that doesn't even know us believes in us makes mm -hmm. us sound better than we ever have and, yeah yo so um how long were you guys signed and like how did that go I mean, so the black and champagne ep came out and the label was really pushing it we had like this crazy party that amy put together for us it was awesome it was amazing i think we had like 200 people there and it was like the album release and then right after that we just hit the ground running shows tour 
shows, shows, you know, radio, all of that. It was like, it felt real. It was almost overwhelming because um, I was still so young. Right? Yeah. I was like 2016, 2015. And yeah, um, it happened fast. And uh, so we were just playing so much, man. We were playing so many shows everywhere. And I could kind of tell that it was starting to like, wear on us a little bit being on the road that much and yeah. then you know i at that time i was partying a lot drinking a lot and uh, i felt like my mind wasn't in the right spot and kind of right around that time the label came to us and was like hey listen what's next you know you guys gonna do another record are you gonna go on tour we need to start making some money back yeah and um i felt like all three of us were in agreement that we wanted to put new material out instead of hitting the road again and they didn't like that and things kind of went a little south. They were kind of like, well, it's not really an option. You're going to hit the road. Yeah. And it kind of ended badly where pretty much they were like, well, then we're going to go to court and you're not going to be a part of this with us anymore. Jeez. And, uh, you know, Amy once again came in to save the day. And then no, no joke literally got us in touch with Alice Cooper's lawyer. Uh, Alice oh Cooper, <laughs> which is ironic, right? Because I talked about that classic rock influence on me. Yeah, right? for sure. So when Alice Cooper's lawyer is reaching out like, hey, I want to help you guys out. I'll give you a discounted rate and we'll get you taken care of. Um, I was just like, this is so full circle. I was like, <laughs> yeah. dude, if, like if my, my dad was still here to, to know this, he would have been so proud. Like, hell yeah, Alice Cooper's saving the day, which is cool because, you know, Alice Cooper does a lot for the Valley and, and local music. So yeah, is um, is he from here? Is, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. He still lives here too. Yeah, because he's he's thrown some events around here yeah. and stuff like that. But dang, so that's I mean that's pretty crazy lawyer to get. I mean I know he knew like, obviously he knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. so like, he he actually up. he saved us, man. He got us out of that situation pretty scot free. We got to keep um, our masters, which is the biggest thing, right? Huge. That's your art. Yeah. We got to keep that, um, which we would then re release down the road. Um, so right around the same time, while all that's happening, it's kind of like discouraging, right? You know, yeah. you had, you felt like you were on the cusp of something. The feedback on Black and Champagne was huge. It was starting to pick up in different countries, but in the background, we're about to get dropped. Yeah. You know, which was like a dagger and it kind of discouraged all of us in a way. So then um, we, we, we took it with like our heads held high and we're like, let's not let this take us off course, right? Let's right. keep writing and we can record on our own budget. You know, we can book gigs, you know, Amy can get us gigs and we'll, we'll just keep going to Dan Parker. And that's kind of what we did for a while. Um, running the bill yourself. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Almost independent, right? Yeah. Um, we still had an awesome manager, Amy, who stood behind us and took care of everything. Um, but at a point, it gets really hard, right? Yeah. As the expenses come up, right? And um, and then literally right around the pandemic time, right? I, I'm sure you've heard this from a lot of artists. That pandemic was just rough. Tough. And um, we kind of made the decision that, hey, you know what? Let's take a little break. Um, and that was really hard for me because like Westland, like we all grew up together, right? Like since yeah. we were like 18, 19, well, really Westland was like 21 and up and it felt like, what do I do now? I kind of felt like I lost my identity for a little bit. Um, but it was okay. Cause I needed a break. We had been on the road so much that it was okay. But you know, months turned into years and then the pandemic happened and, um, it was really hard. And that's kind of like when I, uh, I kind of went through some some darker times um, trying to figure out who I was without music. And I don't think I'm anyone without music. So during the pandemic, um, ironically, Jared just hit me up one day and was like, hey, I miss I miss you guys. Let's get together and just write. And, you know, I was like, okay. So we all get hand sanitizer and clean up. We're all like six feet apart. <laughs> and we started writing again for the first time in probably like two or three years. And it felt so special. And we started working on these songs 
and it was cool. And then like the lockdown really happened, right? And then we kind of took another break and I was like, oh, right when we were getting back into it, this this lockdown, like like we can't get together and do this remotely. Like we, we weren't there yet. Yeah. So that happened. And then just recently, you know, the last two years, three years, we got back together and started writing some new songs, which were our three song EP lights on, which I mixed. Dude, hell yeah. No, and uh, that's like the kind of the full story yes. right there. Yeah. But to kind of like take it back a little bit yeah. during that time, like um, to kind of talk about how it was your identity. Um, I think it's really important mm -hmm. because Westland almost immediately was like received very well. You got, yeah. you know, you, you had a strong backing. Yeah. So I feel like that was something that was uh, not necessarily normal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a lot of people will work on this stuff and do things for a long time before they go on tours and before they get all these shows, before they get approached by a record label and have to <laughs> deal with entertainment lawyers. So it's like you guys were like doing this stuff like at a high level pretty early on. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because um, it's, it's, it's special to take notice of that. So thank you. But yeah, it, it really did happen fast and I'm not really too sure how that happened. I just, I, I, I hate when people say music is connections, but it truly is making connections and networking. And I think that we just consistently had the right group of people. Like when Adam came into the picture, he had so many connections and then Amy really changed things and made things happen so fast. I don't think she, like anyone would have worked harder for us than Amy. And things just happened so fast. Like almost, it almost felt like it was overnight. Yeah. You know, that yeah. we wanted to play at Crescent. We got a show. You know what I mean? Like the biggest venues in the, t in the town at the time, they were taking us on, yeah. having us open for big national acts. And it just happened. And I think a lot of that was just the work ethic that, Jared made us have like me and Kevin would always complain like ah oh, Jared's making us rehearse seven hours a week we were meeting up every night we had yeah. a, a practice space with all of our gear and we were meeting up every night three four hour rehearsals man and um I think that made us stand out yeah, because we were willing sure. to put the time into our craft yeah and make it. that live show something memorable that um not a lot of like bands were doing at the time we were putting in the work you know yeah and i think that's that's it mm -hmm. because the difference is putting yourself out there yeah. and putting that work in and trying to get these shows versus the people that are like bedroom people that yeah. just like don't show anyone their stuff yeah don't try to get out there don't try to do shows yeah. don't rehearse seven hours a week right. so it's that's the it's right that's the reason why yeah. it probably happened so quickly yeah. and you guys were forced to have to take it seriously yeah and that was uh and you guys weren't working day jobs at the time or we were doing some small stuff some on the sides, side just yeah. to survive but music was pretty much our full-time gig at that time which was pretty cool to say dang dude um yo so that's i feel like that's pretty insane to like have to feel that uh taking it seriously so early on yeah yeah and there's a lot of pressure too with it right which yeah. i think kind of culminated with you know our hiatus too because i think we all needed a break yeah. And, and at that same time, Adam um, ended up leaving the band to kind of pursue his own thing. Right. That's when he started um, Wanderer. Wanderer. Yep, yep. He started Wanderer, which was an awesome project. It was like super cinematic and, you know, heavily influenced by the 80s. And um, then he started kind of doing like the the hired gun thing and working with some bigger acts, playing guitar for them and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it all happened really fast and it kind of all fizzled out really fast. Damn. Um, so in that time, there was... Uh... I want to talk about there's a there was an account that I heard I think Amy had told me this one time it was uh, Pete Rosenberg yeah <laughs> so set the record straight was that a fake account I would never say he's a fake account 
and he had real intentions. Um, and he actually really, and this Is was he a kind real of, person. He's a real person for sure. I'm not going to get into the details of who or where he lives. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a real person. But what's funny is Pete Rosenberg was kind of ahead of his time because a lot of artists now are having these accounts. They're almost like fan pages or like street teams, right? Yeah. Pete Rosenberg was the first one doing it, bro. <laughs> he was doing it, getting our name out there, yeah. making connections. Um, we actually, no joke, got approached by, I think, The Voice. Because of Pete <laughs> I'm not even making this up. The voice had reached out specifically looking for Jared. Yeah. Um, wow. Because, you know, he he's actually put in like so much time in his vocal performance and, and it, it stands out. People like his voice. And ironically, the voice reaches out to Pete Rosenberg and uh, <laughs> they were trying to get us on there. Yo. I know. Um, it didn't work out with our timeline. We were touring heavily and all of the politics behind, I'm sure you're, you know, what they, what they try to do with their whole like, oh, well, you're going to need to come here with this, this, and this. And we just, it wasn't aligned. But yeah. Pete Rosenberg, uh, while his name might not be Pete Rosenberg in real life, he is a real person. And, um, he was really ahead of his time with the uh, social media marketing, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> I remember seeing Pete Rosenberg, mm -hmm. and it was almost like a, almost like a James Franco-esque looking profile. Yeah. <laughs> and <Go>. and uh, <laughs> he's still on Twitter today, bro. Yeah. Go, go check him out. Give him a follow, and uh, he'll love to hear what you have going on in the music scene because he probably has some input on it. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I always remember like seeing um, the love that he would share for Westland uh -huh. uh, in those early days, like 15, 16, yeah. 17, those, those yeah. days when it was kind of the beginnings yeah. before everything kind of blew up. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask, I was like, is that a real person, that dude? Is or is funny. That, like... I'll, I'll, that might be next time you bring me on the podcast with Jared, I'll let him speak on two dozen days. That's funny. Noted. <laughs> um, so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I know you through Marcus. Yes. I kind of want to talk about like the yeah. relationship with Marcus and how did you meet Marcus? Yeah, that is something I'm, I love that story. So I actually met Marcus um, I had a little part-time job at Mesa Community College. Yeah, so he was working on MCC yeah, at the time. Yeah, we were both just part-time. Yeah. We were going to college, and I was doing the touring stuff, and they were really flexible with my my touring schedule, so it was cool. So I met him there, and he was always really down to earth, right? Yeah. And he was, like, really humble. Yeah. Okay? Because I didn't know he was a rapper until one day I was, like, in there, like, showing somebody else one of my raps, and he's like, you rap? And I was like, yeah, bro, it's whatever, you know, it's, it's low key, you know? And he's like, I rap too. And I was like, I was expecting him to kind of be like on my level, like, you know, just like super <laughs> like A, B, A, you know, super yeah, simple yeah. lines. And he's like, hey, why don't you come, come by my place? We'll have some beers and stuff. At the lake house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is way back then. So I was like, cool, bro. I'll bring my buddy Kevin with me. Like, so we'll go over there. So one night we go over there, bring like a 12 pack. And uh, he's like, yeah. Check out some of my raps, bro. And I was blown away. <laughs> yeah. Where I was like, wait, this dude's like actually rapping. And he's like unbelievably good, bro. Yeah. Doing and, it all himself too. Right. Which yeah. is super cool, right? And uh, I remember Kevin was sitting behind me and I like looked at him when he first started playing it. And Kevin's face was just like, this dude's good, dude. <laughs> this dude's good. So I love that. I, it went from me like trying to be like, hey, do a song with me to like, dude, like, let me like come to your show like this is dope like i i do not want to like rain on your parade although me and teammate marcus do have a couple of unreleased tracks what yeah we might have to put those out in the world yo, um, i'll have to talk to him it's that. just so funny though because i would always be like yo you're gonna have to go after me bro because like i cannot follow up with you and he was always so you know it's funny he was always so yeah. like 
confident and like kind about it. You know? Yeah, like, for he was, sure. He was never like judging my rap. He would be like, dude, hey, try this and this like to make me a better rapper. Yeah. Um, but he's so good, man. He is yeah, really has always. a gift. For sure, man. And yeah, I, I mean, that's one of my best friends mm -hmm. ever, man. So it's to see his progression from those days because I, I met him in uh, 2016, 2015. Yeah, you might have met him right before I did. Yeah, I, think I, I met him in 2015. Yeah, that's when it was. And you know what's really cool about Marcus kind of unrelated to music is he was always so like about like, a, it's almost like a family to him. All For his sure. friends were family. That's kind of what his name yeah. stems from teammate. teammate. Yeah, everyone was teammates. Exactly. And, and it was, uh, everyone was like teammate and then their name. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it was like, he yeah. was just teammate Marcus yeah. because his name is Marcus. I know. Which is so funny that he stylized it with the K. Yeah. But um, yeah, and he was always doing stuff himself and they would make like joke songs and stuff yeah. and they would just like rap on yeah. stuff and he would always take last verse for the same, same reasons. Reason, just yeah. like, he was just so it's far like you can't come in first no. verse and then everyone else is just shitting on it. I know, <laughs> so. yeah. But he was always so cool about introducing me to his crew and that's how I met you and all of you, you know, the friends you guys still have today, which I think is so cool. Yeah. Um, because all of those people that he surrounded himself with were so kind. And I remember for like a short period when I wasn't on tour, we would all meet up yeah. and like party and stuff. And it was always like such a family vibe, you know, at that time he was still just doing the rap stuff. And uh, it was always love. You guys would always come to the Westland shows. And when Marcus yeah. would have a show, we would all support. It was, it was a really cool time. And I, I felt like really like a, like a good music community around me. And it was like all music, whether I was like, you know, in the rap game on the side, a little bit dabbling my feet, or you guys were supporting my group, yeah, which was really dude. cool, man. For sure. And I mean, that and was- thank you for that, by of, the way. Of course, man. Absolutely. And that's like, when I say like our, we got deep roots, it's yeah. like, it goes back to those yeah. days yes. when like I first moved out here. Yep. You know, that was like yeah. a couple years into my time out here. And then we ended up meeting Amy through you guys. Yeah, which is Which funny. then she ended up like managing mm -hmm. us and then now still to their manager day. to yeah. this day. And taking them to all new heights, which is amazing. Insane, so. dude. Yeah. And to like see the growth of everyone around us, it's yeah. just, it's the classic story of like seeing people grow with you and no one ever gives up. No. And I love, yeah. I love hearing that. Like um, a lot of people that um, I've been watching and listening to a lot of like stand-up comedians yeah. lately and i feel like a lot of them have a similar story where they were all going to the same clubs playing the same shows doing the same open mics and stuff in like new york and la and then they all end up growing and blowing up together to now you know being 10 years in yes. the game and they're all huge they all got their own podcasts yes. and then they talk about each other knowing each other for this long and i think that's kind of like the same thing that i relate to with with you yeah. guys and marcus and um even the guy the other guys in this modern you uh -huh. know how they had their own story like sean yeah. and tim like they right. starting and kind of seeing everyone's progression but then rise all together you know what i think that is i think that when you think of music it's community for sure and it's that's just how it always has been and how it probably always will be in its community and and i think that's funny you say that because i told you my full circle story about david who you know went on to produce our you were making beats for marcus yes yeah and i was his dj yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy like i would we were i played a juicy j show with yeah him. dude i was there <laughs> yeah, and bone thugs in harmony yeah and, <laughs> and the bone thugs show was after we had created the band around marcus yeah. so we were playing with you know that's the right. live bass i was on live bass ricky was on guitar so cool. sean was playing drums um but yeah the juicy j show that was like one of the last shows that it was at livewire yeah. now uh sky sky lanes yeah. or whatever in old town, sky um in old town it was that double layer mm -hmm. and i'll never forget that was like one of the first shows where it was like sold out mm -hmm. lying around the building Crazy. 
like had our own green room and we were yeah. like whoa this is this nuts. happening yeah. this is nuts and like they had me on like a dj thing off to the side and yeah. i was like on a shitty board and stuff <laughs> like that but it was just like we were really doing it and yeah yeah i feel like in those times we actually like i told you uh last week we recorded um kind of a shoot the shit episode uh -huh. that's going to be releasing on monday okay um but uh we were kind of talking about how those times were the like the best times mm -hmm. because we weren't worried about money we weren't yes. worried about analytics we weren't yes. worried about like anybody else's opinions we just were making stuff to make it and we loved it and uh -huh. it was like those were the early days man and i feel like those were the best times of our lives yeah. you know what i'm saying no, i agree 1000 percent. and i and to tie it back to my story i think when we were under that label that's kind of when it didn't feel like an artistry anymore yeah it felt like a job and analytics and all those things that you had just mentioned which really kind of was grueling on our souls right because the music to us has always been something special we we didn't have an algorithm or a songwriting formula it was like this is what we're going through in our lives we're going to write it down and turn it into a, a song if it's catchy it's catchy but like our earlier stuff you you can listen to it it wasn't like your standard like format of a song right like right. To, like shining night didn't have a chorus like it you know what i mean so when we had the label it really kind of changed things and the cool thing about what we're doing now which is all independent right like I, i'm i'm mixing and mastering and we're doing it all ourselves is that artistry is back that yeah. sense of realness is back and i think that's kind of what's so inspiring and what we look forward to keep doing and i don't know you know if, if another label approached us i don't know if we would take that just for the fear of losing that that originality you know what i mean absolutely it'd have to be more so like a uh partnership right. thing exactly. where it's like less yeah. of like a taking over it's more like maybe maybe they help you with distribution sure. and that's it or publishing <laughs> you know yeah. or publishing yeah, yeah. Exactly. and then the deal has to be right um i think that's uh that's a really good point especially now that you've already had that negative experience <laughs> exactly that it's just i'm like, jaded <laughs> uh, yeah yeah for sure you get jaded because like you know yeah. how far it can go oh, in the wrong sure. direction fast <laughs> yeah and like yeah um and you know to touch on on that as well like uh in those times when we were hanging out at lake house days yeah. and um you know we talked about this last week too uh with marcus how like back in the day when everyone was together we were always just yeah. like smoking all the time and like <laughs> we were saying how like we would smoke and we would be as high as we could yeah. and we would just keep smoking because everyone no had weed yeah. and like there was seven of us at the crazy, crib and dude. it was nuts and and like we would go out like every weekend and like you were part of the group where yeah. i uh, i tell this uh to a lot of people where back in the days when like Tim would show up with the half gallon and then we would just go shot, 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 it shot and then go bro. out to Casey Moore's for yeah. like three hours and then just like close just the bars down. Obliterated, dude. Every weekend and it's it was crazy, just dude. because it was something to do. Yeah. And, and we uh, could. And we could, yeah. yeah. And it was fun and like yeah. we always enjoyed our time yeah. and um, yeah, and like we had some super, you know, <laughs> late nights and crazy things, yeah. especially like, like I remember me, me, you, Marcus, um, and Timo yeah. and, uh, Kevin might've been there for a few of those as well. <laughs> yeah. And um, for sure, I never saw Jared out there. No, nah, Jared uh, was always Jared. <laughs> the responsible, quiet one. Well, he, you know, he got married, um, pretty early and, uh, started a family and I, looking back now, I kind of wish that I might have, might have slowed down a little sooner too, yeah. Because uh, it it got pretty hard there at the end, and and I've got a story too to tell you about Marcus really quick. But yeah, um, I I that right around that same time, Marcus was just always ready to hang out, and yeah. it was just like you knew it was like a Thursday or Friday night we were gonna meet up, and we went and we ended up going to Devil's Advocate one night. Oh. 
and we were, classic I, Tempe we, bar. Right. And we were drinking like before we even got there. And I had somehow linked up with my buddy who had given me some like tranquilizers. <laughs> and I, I remember going to Marcus and being like, yo, Marcus, I got some fucking like dolphin tranquilizers. Cause that's what <laughs> he had to ask Marcus this story. We got some like dolphin tranquilizers yo. and I don't even think we were planning on taking them, bro. But we got so fucked up that night. I think we ended up taking them. And like, I remember at the end of the night, like we looked at each other and I was like, dude, we just took some like dolphin tranquilizer. I don't even know where this fucker got it from, bro. And uh, <laughs> ask him about the dolphin tranquilizer yeah, story. At the end of that, he was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, that next day, I never felt more like wrong like that was probably oh. like the first time i was like dude fuck i need to slow down man. yeah it's getting heavy yeah. yeah it's like i mean and that kind of goes to show you like even when we were fucked up it was like always trying to push it to like just get more and yeah. more and more to the point yeah. where we're going to bed at four in the morning type shit like yeah. okay guys like the sun is coming up and that, there's <laughs> i couldn't even count how many nights i can't even remember because i can't remember right because yeah. i was so fucked up but you know that's part of the reason that i've uh i'm sober now so. right congratulations Thank man you. you were saying before the pod that it's yeah. been about two years now right yeah over two years man so did was uh was the pandemic kind of when it when you were kind of going in yeah. it still yeah like you definitely. were still it was, in it especially because at that point westland yeah. wasn't making music you were yeah. still trying to find yourself and yeah. like without the music and kind of speak on that like what what was the turning point for you yeah so that right around that time i kind of noticed that i was starting to drink more like alone and it was like really sad you know i, I was feeling really like depressed and drinking kind of towards the end kind of made me feel more and more depressed and uh you know it was such a weird shift to be on the road for so much for so long to just be stuck at home, not really making music. And what else is there to do? You know what I mean? I was kind of living off of whatever I had left over from Westland at the time, which wasn't much and waiting for those royalty checks to show up and, you know, just drinking. And I kind of noticed like, you know, this is starting to get to the point where it's not like making me feel like I'm having fun anymore. Yeah. Um, so I decided that, you know, I was going to quit drinking. And then I kind of started drinking more socially again. Yeah. And then at a point I was starting to notice that when I wasn't drinking, I was feeling more creative and more like aligned and in tune with myself. So I, I eventually made the full decision to just cut it out completely. Wow. Um, but yeah. Was it, uh, was it one of those where you went cold turkey or did you kind of wean no. off of it? Well, kind of like, uh, I, I would say cold turkey. Cause when I say I was still drinking socially, I was still drinking like four or five times a week, right? right? But yeah. nothing like I was during the pandemic. Like For that sure. was bad, bad. Um, so then, yeah, I would say I cut it off cold turkey. Um, and was just like, you know, the three or four nights that I am drinking, like it's not bringing me any benefit. Right. I'm getting more harmed the next day by like, cause I got to the point where I was like drinking two beers and like, I'd feel it the next day. I guess that's getting older. Yeah. For you know, sure. like, damn, I had three beers. I can tell my head hurts. Um, <laughs> so I was just like, it's not doing anything for me. So I yeah. was just like, I'm better off without it. And it originally was going to be like a six month, maybe a year off just to see how I felt. And I consistently felt better and better and better. And I was just like, it's just not for me. I'm better off without it. Yeah. And, and honestly to make that decision mm -hmm. at still a pretty young age at the time, cause yeah. you, were, you weren't even 30 at the time, no, right? No, So, it was that's like right. right before your 30s yeah. and like that's i think the best way to do it yeah. rather than being 50 years old drinking for 30 yeah. years and then trying to go stone cold sober yeah. like that's that's when it gets tough and you've yeah. already done the damage in a way no so i yeah. think that's uh that's that was really grown up of you to do and <laughs> i'm sure it was tough because like you know still people drink around you and to like yeah. having to almost change your 
friend group in a way, but like the the associates that you, like you a associate yourself with, but like or just being strong willed in a sense exactly. of just like yep. you guys can keep drinking, but I'm gonna be drinking this water. <laughs> Maybe like a little seltzer water with oh, a yeah. lime. You I'm know? on the Lacroix hard, bro. If hey. you sponsor me, if you can, I'm drinking like four of those a day. But no, you're spot on, one thousand percent correct. I think that was a shift, right? Because. Um, the cool thing, like Jared, he was never really a big drinker, right? So right. I noticed that when I kind of quit, it was easier to kind of like surround myself with him a little bit more um, because those first few months were kind of weird. Like I would notice that I was anxious when like going out to like a, a like a, a bar to go catch like a, a band or someone that I knew that was playing live and like everyone there would be drinking. And I noticed that like, it was still hard. So I kind of pulled myself out of that scene for a little while till I could get my bearings straight. Yeah. And uh, the cool thing was like all of my friends have always been so supportive and, and okay. I have a really good, strong support system. My fiance at home, she's just been like awesome about, you know, supporting me and not drinking. Um, she was, she was never really a big drinker. Um, so it's really easy to be around her. Right. And then yeah. like, you know, Kevin's obviously slowed down too. I don't, I don't think Kevin really parties near as much as he used to. He was my partner in crime. Yeah. I remember like you guys would influence each other. Oh, we would feed <laughs> off of each other. We was so bad, bro. We would call each other the next day and be like, what's your liver at? And he's like, I'm at a 10, bro. I'm cooked, bro. I ain't going out for a while. But, um, so they've been really supportive and, and my group around me and my, my, my support group has just been, you know, rock solid about my sobriety and, I, and I'm really proud of myself and, and it feels good. And I'm in a, a much better place. Creativity wise and, and just emotionally. So it's been nothing but good things for me since quitting. I love that, man. And and you talk about your fiance and, and congratulations on getting Thank engaged, you. bro. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been a little bit of time now, but um, so wedding's probably coming up That's soon. That's right. I'll have to let you know about that. We got a date set in November of 2024. Uh, so oh, we'll have to definitely you out let there. me know, bro. Yeah. Please. We're still going through all the planning and stuff. But yeah, thank yes. you. It's been good, man. I feel like I'm really grown up now. For sure. Like man, domesticated and shit. Like I, I got a <laughs> Dyson vacuum the other day. And it was exciting. Bro, I was so stoked. I don't know if you saw my post on that, but I was no, just I like didn't. shitting on everyone. I was like, dude, if you still have a, first of all, a corded vacuum <laughs> and or a Dyson, like get right, bro. It changed my life. My house is like dust free, bro. Yeah, so that's the Dyson ball or whatever. Yeah, yeah. dude, I got the V11, bro. I got so much Ooh. suction out of that thing. It's crazy, bro. <laughs> it's like a V11, bro. It's like a Corvette engine in there, dude. Yo, the people that you, or the things that you get excited about as like an adult is so 30s, funny. I yeah. know, dude, it's crazy, bro. Because like, I don't really get out much anymore, you know, since yeah. I'm not drinking. And I think that's just with age. Like, I'm sure you don't go out you know, yeah, as much never, as you used to. Yeah. It's just what's out there, right? You know, yeah. You've seen it and done it all. Yeah. So now I've kind of found myself like really diving into like different things. Like uh, I, I'm, I told you I'm doing mixing and mastering now. So I've kind of found myself that guy that's like, like scoundering the uh, offer ups and the, yeah. the reverbs for vintage gear and stuff like that. And yeah. vacuum cleaners apparently as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. So, um, yeah. So it is cool that you've had the support system of your girlfriend at the time, mm -hmm. um, like when you were starting to get sober and then yeah. she ends up becoming your fiance. Like, yeah. That's such a beautiful story that you guys have kind of gone through that together yeah. in a way. Thank you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, moving into kind of like uh, things um, after that break in 2020 mm -hmm. and 2021 and getting back into yeah. the music, man. I want to talk about like coming back into Westland. Yes. Um, because that that's uh you guys just started releasing music again yeah. over the last like six months yes correct so that's uh you know been something that i'm sure you guys have been talking about for a long time since the pandemic right, and exactly. trying to figure out how it was going to look what it was going to feel like mm -hmm. where you were going to record it and all that mm -hmm. stuff and just talk about like the coming back and when did it officially come through where it's just like you jared and kevin coming together and be like all right we're doing this again yeah so like we had said we started getting back together like 
kind of pandemic time and um, came up with some pretty cool material. And then I, I'm one of those people that believes everything happens for a reason, right? For sure. And when the lockdown happened, um, it kind of gave us a time to kind of get away from each other again. And when we decided we wanted to get back together, we said, well, all those songs that we started writing like during the pandemic time, let's just sit on those and let's get back together. We've all matured some. And um, we, we just went straight into writing. And it was crazy because I came to Jared with a, a song, um, Nights Like Last, which was kind of, I guess you'd say, the single of DP. And then Jared didn't even tell me, but he had been writing some stuff too on the side, uh, the song Riptide, which is actually blowing up right now in the Philippines. So shout out to all of you guys <laughs> yes. in the Philippines. Thank you in Manila. Uh, yes. Keep playing it. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, it feels good to know that people are still out there listening, you know? Yeah. But so anyway, so we 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 like came together again and it felt different this time, right? Because pre-pandemic, it was just kind of hanging out again, like let's get our feet wet. But this felt real. Like these songs felt like they were special. Yeah. And I kind of said like, hey, if we're going to do this, I think maybe we should try a different approach. Instead of trying to come up with money and taking it to a producer, let's do it all ourselves. And I think that like made a light turn on for Jared because he got so hyped yeah. and was like, I've been wanting to do this this way for a long time. Yeah. And I think right around that time I was getting sober and I could see that he could tell I was just super hyper-focused. I was driven. I was hungry again. I wanted to get back into that and feel those feelings of putting out material I could stand behind. So I think it just kind of fired him up and Kevin, he just wants to play drums, right? He yeah. wants to make music. So yeah. it all, we kind of fired up all like we, we were firing each other up. Yeah. It felt natural. So we said, well, if we're doing it ourselves, someone's got to mix and master it. And I was like, I'll do it. Fuck yes. Right? So I went down this rabbit hole. I bought the books. I went down the YouTube stuff. I, I took some master classes and stuff and was like, okay, let's do it. So we were recording all of the stuff at Jared's new house that he had bought. Um, he bought an awesome pad, bro. We kind of built a studio up in there. Nice. So we would go over there and, and kind of write and then record. And then we kind of found a system that worked for us. Like let Jared do his part. He sent it to Kevin to put the drums on and then they sent it to me for mix and mastering. And uh, I just like, I fell in love with it. Like I love the, like the science behind it and like making frequencies work with each other and making the song sound however I wanted it to. Right. Yeah. And I kind of had that freedom too, being in the band. Like if I didn't like something that Jared did, I could just, okay, I'm going to plug this in and redo it. Yeah. Right. I have that freedom. Overdubs. Yeah, exactly. So when we did that and we kind of bounced like the first like demos to each other, like, dude, this is dope. Like, let's do this. So yeah. full circle, we reached out to Amy who helped us with the release and um, she took care of us. And, you know, just because we had been out of the game so long, like what's a release look like? Is it, do people release albums on Tuesday still? Like, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah. We don't know. And she took us, you know, she got us right and uh, helped us through the release. And, and she was so kind and, you know, and gave me great feedback and was like, hey, you know, I didn't know you mixed this. This sounds incredible. Like you should give yourself a pat on the back. Cause like I had only been doing it for like six months on the side. Yeah. So that was like my first thing. And what's funny now is like looking back at those new releases, I'm like, damn, I should have done this and this and this. But you and I were talking about that. Like that's kind of how artistry and being creative is. Like you're always going to go up, yep. right? Yeah, man. And it's cool that it kind of came full circle in the sense where like you hit up Amy again because yeah. you were one of her first mm -hmm. acts. Mm -hmm. And then she was probably super excited to hear like, yeah, it was yes, special. you're back. Let, well, let's she's, go. she's like, always loved us and, and our, our music and our style. So it did feel full circle. And it's crazy to see like now she's like the big shot in town. For, yeah. You know, artists are like begging to get with her. 
to have them like, you know, on her roster. And it's like, well, we're the wash ups coming back. Like, hey, well, you got any time for us? But she took care of yeah, us, man. And you just hit her directly. Yeah, I hit the direct line. Yeah, no, she she took care of us, though. And and uh, she's been an awesome support. And, and the release is still doing really well. And um, we've actually got a couple more songs in the woodworks right now um, that's late for a late January release. We got a two song kind of single, I guess they're calling them now. Yeah. Um, that we're going to put out that I mix and mastered. Yo. And uh, we've got some really cool stuff in 2024 that we're, we're really excited for, um, full band stuff. Um, not sure about what playing out live looks like just yet. I think we want to build our catalog up a little bit and kind of get some new material, but a lot of new songs that we're really excited. Yeah, man. I think it's, it probably feels really good for you to almost, uh, have that pride of like, I made this rather Because yes. sometimes when you go to a producer yeah. it's just more so like oh well they did this i recorded it's it. like yeah. i recorded it and they did i mix. mixed yeah. it i mastered yep. it like everything was in-house and it, yeah. that's always you know the diy mindset has always been kind of even like in the early teammate marcus days that's what we were we were I diy know. until yeah. we die like barely using yeah. any samples everything yeah. was recorded and it was just like being able to feel that like I made this 100% is is just something like not, nothing. You know, I, I agree with you. And I think it's so interesting too in the industry now, you're seeing more of that. Yeah. So you guys were kind of ahead of your time. Yeah, for sure. You know, because it almost felt like you needed to get studio time for what we were doing to get like a, a decent sound. Like the joke was you didn't want to sound like a local band, but you guys were ahead of it. And it's funny now you see on like YouTube and all these like influencers, they're all doing it yeah. independently now. For sure. It's almost like these, these major labels like unless you're like the weekend or someone massive like these these groups are doing it independently and doing a very good job with it yeah and what happens now is the independent artist builds themselves up yeah. and then the labels come to you <laughs> as a partnership after they've done all the hard work <laughs> yeah let's take care of you exactly yeah. but the, hey nothing wrong with that if it works for, for sure. both parties then do it you know yeah and that's kind of like um like i mean i appreciate you saying like we were ahead of our time it's almost like at the time we were doing it because that's all we knew and that's <laughs> like it's all we could do yeah. you know like we didn't have access to the studios and like yeah like even working with uh with sean that wasn't mm -hmm. something that came until you know, we had already been doing it. Like I was doing it myself for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And then Marcus was doing it himself for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. So going into it, we already knew how we wanted to sound, yeah. but then kind of giving the reins to someone that went to crass, because Sean went yeah. to crass as well. So it was kind of like to a professional, you yeah. know, to well, sure. it, yeah, at least absolutely. to our standards, you know, yeah. like he had a full studio at, mm -hmm. uh, at Mind's Eye and stuff. Mm -hmm. And to kind of make that change. And um, I was talking to him last week too on this uh, on this episode that's going to drop how we were we were doing a lot of the fusion music where we were yeah. adding in live instruments. Okay. And, and I remember like back in the day, like we were uh, we were genre blending. Yeah. A lot. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, where we were adding in like rock elements and then rock rap stuff. And yeah. then no one knew how to categorize us yeah. at the time. And it was so frustrating for us at the time because it was almost like it was hard for us to get placements because like the we were too rock for the rap guys and we were too rap yep. for the rock guys. I, I know that time period, yeah. And uh, it was so frustrating, but now that's what everyone does. Isn't and it then they funny? just call it pop and then it's, it's okay and isn't, you get on the charts. Isn't it funny, man? You guys were like way ahead. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how music works like that, you know? Yeah. But hey, 
you guys did it. And uh, I really thought all of the stuff you guys were doing, especially when you brought in that full band element, it was so cool. It was so different. Yeah. And I remember at one of the shows I was at, I was like looking around at the people and like, dude, this is cool. Like to kind of get that like hip hop vibe, but with that full band energy. Yeah. Was special. And and that's still what Marcus is doing today in a sense. Yeah, which is really absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I mean, what this modern is today is very much fusion rock. Right. So oh, it's sure. just yeah. like they they're not just a rock band. Like mm-hmm. they have those elements of like singing and then also mm-hmm. the rapping. You yeah. know, and that's always been Marcus's bag. And even if it's like a little bit more melodic, mm-hmm. it's still like it's still fusion. Yeah. And so I I don't think those roots have ever really left them, but they've kind of dialed it in a little bit more. Um, but it, it's cool to like almost have had that experience. And I'm so thankful that we went through those growing pains. And because oh, yeah. like I was saying last week with him, like it's uh, it's made us into the artists we are today. And yeah. we're not afraid to take risks. We're not afraid to genre blend. We're yeah. not because we already been doing this for so long. And it's like when everyone else is doing it, it's just like we've been you, doing this. <laughs> you kind of lose that fear. I totally understand yeah. what you're saying. And, and yeah. especially with kind of doing it independently as we all are now. Um, it kind of makes that fear kind of go away, right? Because yeah. you you feel like you have a little bit more control. And I, I totally agree with everything you said, man. It's it's cool. And it feels really good to be doing it again, man. For sure, man. And uh, we were kind of talking about, uh, we were talking about the mixing and mastering stuff. Yes. Um, so you, you kind of started doing it with the Westland stuff, yeah. but now you're branching out and kind of trying to take on other acts and other groups um, and, and artists as well yeah. um, as like mixing and mastering. And um, I just want to talk about how, how that's going and how, how you're learning and yeah. how it's uh, almost challenging you to become a better engineer that's the big thing i like that word in bold challenging yeah um no i I appreciate that it's been it's been exciting i uh i kind of felt a love for it when i first started doing the westland ep um i was like you know this is cool i really like this like i'm enjoying it it felt new to me um because i was never really into it when i was the artist right and now i kind of got this sense for it that i really enjoyed and so I kind of said, well, after the lesson stuff, I'm going to maybe reach out and network. And of course, I reached out to Amy and said, hey, if you have anybody, you know, put me in touch. And yeah. uh, of course, she gave me some referrals. But yeah, I started looking at some other artists and stuff. And uh, I really like it. I think it's so cool to kind of put my own spin on it. You know, every mix engineer has their own like niche, right? Their mm-hmm. sound. And I kind of want to build mine. So I'm still kind of finding my footing. I've gotten an opportunity to work with a couple of artists. I worked with uh, someone on their debut uh, called Crooked Truths which right. is on Spotify and all your, you know, uh, digital platforms. Um, Handle right here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really cool song and it's really different. It came out right around Halloween. Um, so it kind of has like a spooky vibe on it. And I got to really use a lot of cool tools on it to kind of give it like my, my spin. I really like analog sound, right? Um, so I really like, you know, the old stuff from the 80s, like the, the SSL 4000 consoles and stuff. So I yes. found a way to kind of put my like modern spin on that. Um, and I've really been enjoying it. So I think in 2024, I think like between all the Westland stuff that we've got, I would really like to kind of make a focus on maybe finding some some new clients and, and maybe making that like a side hustle for myself because I really love it. And it's a good way to stay into the into the music industry, you know, without having to tour and, you know, put your own stuff out there full time. So we'll yeah, see how it goes. For but, sure, man. And it's almost like you can generate income while yeah. also sharpening the saw for your artistry yes. at the same time. And only getting better every time you mix a song, right? Exactly. Yeah. And especially like we were talking about earlier how you're doing like different 
genres and like yes. doing electronic music yep. and like that's that's a different animal altogether when you come from a band kind yes. of setting, oh, you know, sure. live instruments stuff versus synthesizers and 808s, yeah. you know. <laughs> no, I was going to say different. right cuz being a guitar player like I can get a guitar to sound pretty good, you know, anywhere. But when I got one of these I'm working on a lo-fi thing right now for a buddy of mine and I was like this is like you want me to make it sound bad? Like I didn't understand <laughs> yeah. that. Like I I was like I really want clarity and like really high fidelity and he's like no put it through all your tape emulation, like make it sound crunchy. And I was like, okay, yeah. So, but what kind of what you were saying though, that's how you get better, right? Is kind of taking yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit and trying new things. Cause at a point, if I keep just doing Westland stuff and, you know, pop rock and alt rock, I'm going to probably hit a ceiling. Yeah. Um, But this is a great way for me to get better and, and, you know, hone into my craft and sharpen my saw, like you said. Absolutely, man. And that's, I, I love that term, the sharpening of the mm-hmm. saw. And it's like something that I've read in a book before. I, I can't remember exactly what book, but that's kind of when you're doing things like that, mm-hmm. you're just sharpening your saw, yeah. making yourself better. So that way, you know, it's like, it's almost putting in the, like paying your dues, you know, <laughs> like putting in the work to become a better version of yourself. That's really, at the end of the day, that's what it is. And you're putting in that work with other artists so that way you can become a better artist yourself. Oh, for uh, sure. And I think an artist in the sense of like recording artists, mm-hmm. but then also an artist just in music as like a creative person, yeah. you know, in music, that's, you know, because I think an engineer is an artist yeah. in, in like the grand scheme of Yo, things for like, sure. because it's yeah. creative act mm-hmm. is, is engineering. Yeah. And I watched um, when I first started uh, recording myself back in 2018, mm-hmm. 19, around those times when I was like I had left the band um, and it was like uh, one of those things where I was also trying to find myself as mm-hmm. an artist. Yeah. And I, I watched one of the best uh, videos I've ever seen. It was like an old college class. Mm-hmm. It was called The Art of Mixing. Okay. And um, I actually have uh, the the book that was the actual like college course, but oh, wow. then that kind of pairs with the video. Oh, okay. It's kind of an old school video. And it's, it's funny because it's kind of trippy. And like they had like a bunch of little things and transitions that are like super educational, but it's also kind of trippy because it was made in like the 90s or something like that. But it talks about like the fundamentals and the way that they explain it is like it's a box. Mm -hmm. And basically they they talk about how equalization, you know, it's the the top to bottom. So like if you're looking at like a three-dimensional space, it's high frequencies at the top, low frequencies at the bottom. And then if you're talking about panning, that's the left to the right. And then you have volume, which is the front to the back. Yes. So it's almost like using those three parameters alone uh-huh. will get you a solid mix. Yeah. And Within all the, box, the other yeah. stuff is everything else. And, and that's when when people say like in the box, mm-hmm. it's like even back in the days when they were doing analog yeah. stuff, it was like the almost like the visual representation of where everything sat. So it's almost like if you're looking at it and like hearing it with headphones on, you hear things happening on the left, you hear things happening on the right, you hear things happening on top, you hear things happening on bottom. And that's like when people say like the vocals on top, it's like because they're above Mm -hmm. uh, all of the other frequencies. And that's why you add these certain, uh, these things in equalization to be able to boost these things, cut these things out. So that way that things like, for instance, the kick and the the bass Mm -hmm. have the lower frequencies and they're occupying that space. And then like the vocals are kind of sitting on top literally and you know figuratively um but it's like almost when i started visualizing mixing Uh in that way where it's like a space in front of me and it's almost like um from the top of the speakers to the to the floor yeah 
that's the box you that know? you have to stay within. Yeah, yeah it's because like I the, like that. The tweeters are like yeah. the top, yeah. and then like the floor, mm-hmm. the sub. That's Your the base, the yeah. floor. So it's kind of like you can literally start hearing things. And I I always remembered as a kid hearing um like mixing uh, especially like early Beatles records yeah. and early rock records God. where they were very intentional about placement. Mono, yeah. yeah or, <laughs> well, even like uh, when they started splitting it where yeah. it was just like uh, only guitar and backup vocals were on yeah. the left. It was almost trippy, right? drums yeah. were on the right. And I remember like sometimes you could take out yeah. one headphone and, get, and you wouldn't even yeah, hear dude. the other stuff. Could you imagine being alive in like the early 60s when that was happening and be like, what is going on? Like <laughs> this sure. was so foreign to people. Yeah. Like those people that literally had mono setups, right? Yeah. Like the old Yamaha speaker was, that was it. So when the Beatles started coming out and changing things, like people were like, what's going on? What a, what a trippy time that was. But yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think the thing that I find craziest about the whole mixing process is you have the freedom to make it work, right? If yeah. someone came to me with like a project or a session that had like, he's like, I want to do something new. I'm going to have like four different 808s going off at the same time. Like there's no right or wrong in music. If somebody wanted to do that, you could do that. The hard part is just making it fit within that box like you mentioned. And I like that. That's the challenge, right? That's the excitement of getting something that I didn't really have too much of a hand in with the recording process and making it translate to speakers across the world. (laughs) For sure. No, 100%, man. It's almost like, and starting with like equalization, volume, and panning. You you start with those three things and then everything else, when you talk about compression, when you talk about saturation, reverb, Mm -hmm. echo, all of those things almost accentuate and almost uh, like go into the details of those three main. So it's almost like the micro versus the macro. Like macro being the equalization, volume, and panning, the micro being all the other effects. And like those little things that you can start to add to add color Mm -hmm. or certain type of uh, things in in specific placement or even to spread Mm -hmm. and um, do like stereo spread and stuff like that and and do that on on purpose. You know, and I think that's uh, when you start to get into the nitty gritty of it. And that's that's the art. And that's what I mean when I say like engineers are artists. Like, yeah, that's the art of of mixing. I've got one last idea on that whole subject. And someone told me this. I forget who it was. I might have read it on Reddit. <laughs> but um, I saw something that said, like, if you record a song and send it to 10 different mix engineers, you're going to get pretty much like 10 almost songs. <laughs> exactly. Almost. You will. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're going to put their own spin on it and how they hear it and how that translates to within that box, like you talked about. And 100%. I think it's so fascinating. Yeah. You know? It very much is. And I, uh, I love that you said that because I think that's a very good point. Yeah. And that's like what's cool about that is like you can hear things now mm-hmm. that you're doing that other producers or engineers might not have done. And it's, uh, that's probably super fulfilling. Yeah. And, um, I, uh, I obviously I'm in videography and photography and stuff like that Mm -hmm. too. So I've had this conversation with a few different other photographers where I've had this idea that might be cool Mm -hmm. and I still kind of want to do it. I just don't know how to execute it yet, but, um, almost creating an event where it's, uh, multiple subjects, and you bring five or six photographers to the same event and they all shoot the subject differently you know in, in their own way yeah and then you just like display all of their different takes on the same subject same thing that's fascinating you know man. and like and, and whether that be um at the time i was thinking doing specifically film yeah so it's just like give them the same exact film stock they can use whatever camera they want 
They can uh, use whatever, um, like has to be like natural yeah. lighting or like a specific mm -hmm. lighting where all the lighting is the same for everyone, but the angle is going to be different yeah. and like the shutter speeds or apertures that they choose to use yeah. totally on them. So all like the little detailed stuff, totally on them to, to use their own creative yeah. minds, but having the exact same subject with the exact same lighting in the exact same setting. Fascinating. I think that would be so interesting to see five or six different works that end up you know, like it, it just, they look like different pieces. They're going to be, di they're going to look yeah. different, but it's the same, like almost moment. You know what I mean? That's fascinating. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing we were talking about. Like you're going to get 10 different eyes, sets of eyes versus 10 different ears, right? It's, For sure. It's, and you're going to get something a little different. That's really cool. Yeah. I, um, I've seen, and it's funny cause I had that idea back in 2020 when mm -hmm. I first started shooting film with yeah. my homie David. And, uh, <clears throat> I've seen over the last like two years, I've seen uh, digital photographers on Instagram. Well, they'll they'll have the same exact photo, and uh, they basically send it to five or six different photographers and tell them to edit it. Oh wow! So it's almost like seeing different styles of editing versus yeah. like the picture being taken oh, differently. It's like sure. the exact same yeah. photo, but then you edit it in different ways, add different details and stuff like that, and. Totally different pictures all together. Like, colors look different. Yeah. Saturation is different. Crazy. Contrast is different. Exposure is different. People like really like, and that's another art right there in photography is like the digital editing side of photography. And, and you know what's really cool about that? I guarantee you if, if you had five different people edit those pictures, whoever saw it might like a different one better. Exactly. Right? And that just shows you taste versus creative taste versus like a consumer taste. And I think that's so cool. You know, everybody yeah. has like a niche and I think that's so cool. That's why the content worked so well because yeah. you know, the comments were flooded with, oh, five, oh, yeah. two, you know? And then yeah. like, everyone's like, yeah, two or whatever. And, and then yeah. it's cool because then they tag all the photographers in it. That's really So cool. it was like, when I saw that, I was like, yes, exactly. Yeah. Like that's how you can almost show that this stuff is art in yeah. its own way creative, where it's yeah. like, where everyone's going to look at things differently and the, it's parallels, you know, like the parallels of, of that with the music. It's yeah, 100% the exact same. I thing. was just going to say with any creative, like there's no right or wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like mathematics. Um, it's taste. For sure. And there's something out there for everyone. Yeah, I agree, man. And I think there's certain limitations where oh, yeah. it's like there's like ways like fundamentally to mm -hmm. do certain things. But I think a lot of that comes down to like the uh, the shooting mm -hmm. more so. Yeah. Um, so I feel like like the setup and the lighting and those fundamental things that mm -hmm. if those aren't in place, then it might not be the best best product. Yeah. And I think that's like the stuff that they teach you in photography class, like about like uh you know about shutter speed and about aperture and about lighting yeah. and all those things the rule that of are thirds. <laughs> the, the rule of thirds composition that's what that yeah. is composition mm -hmm. so it's just like all of those that are almost they're like guidelines in a way but then everything else is all creative like everything else work and around those things for yeah, sure exactly but i think uh, the introduction of digital photography that kind of that kind of washed things away a little bit too, because yeah. like you can take, um, as long as you have some of those guidelines in check, like you can really manipulate photos to yeah. be amazing. Even if like you kind of shit the bed on the execution. It of really it. gives you a lot of freedom. Right? Yeah, for it's, sure. It's the same thing with like recording on like tape versus going into like a software, right? 100%. You can totally go back and edit things, right? Yeah. And that's kind of another reason we were talking about, like you kind of admire the 60s and 70s music because they didn't really have too many chances to kind of go back. Yeah. And know? if they did, they had to not only record it again, but they had to do it 
like together yeah <laughs> like, I like so it's just like when they were doing full band recordings yeah. it was like i'm sure that was so frustrating uh on both sides of the yeah. of the of the space because like behind the glass the engineer was like god damn it we're running out of tape yeah and i only have like one more six reel hours left. Later, yeah, like yeah. six hours later and like the bassist keeps fucking up or the yeah. fucking guitarist missed his his yeah. thing or like the drummer got behind <laughs> or something the tension like in those <sighs> rooms back then well, i mean if you think about like fleetwood mac in the 70s like i have you ever heard the story about the rumors album no it's no, their no. most like commercialized like the, the music like snobs say it's one of the best written and recorded albums ever right like and and people didn't know this until after the fact but the band was literally about to kill each other at this time because <laughs> stevie Jeez. nicks and i think Lindsay buckingham their guitarist were having like an affair oh. but then like he was ex-husbands with somebody else like they were at each other's throats and they were like having a hard time with drugs and drinking at that time as well and um, so all of these factors were in play and they somehow made one of the most famous and amazing albums ever wow. but to just be a fly in that room during that time would have been interesting yo it? to feel the tension is yeah. like you can just cut it with a knife but what was to that point I think the emotion probably fueled oh, the performance. For sure. If you go and listen to the, some of those songs, I think uh, the one that comes to my mind is uh, The Chain. You can hear the angst yeah. and the tension. And I, I I, think when I read that and I heard that story and I went back and listened to the album, it like it made sense. I yeah. heard it differently. Yeah. And I was like, this is cool. Now it's even cooler, right? Yeah, dude. So it, it's crazy. It almost brings you it. into their headspace. Right, for sure. Yo, it certainly does. I love we'll that. Listen to it. No, yeah. I, I will for sure, dude. I uh, Yeah, I never really got into Fleetwood Mac, but yeah. obviously, you know, I've, I've heard, it, it's one of those bands where like, if I hear the song, be like, oh yeah, I know that song, enough, yeah. but I wouldn't be able to say or like what the name was or yeah. maybe even like, not even necessarily know it's Fleetwood Mac, but yeah. I know the song, yeah. you know, like one of yeah, those sure. artists. Yeah. But um, yeah, and like around those, that time, I feel like that the recording process was so different. It was. And it was like, they were doing eight tracks, yeah. you know, and stuff like Crazy, that. And right? having to do things on tape, splice the tape <laughs> yeah. and like actually back, with a razor yeah. blade and like all that stuff, like the same way that they used to produce films back in yeah. the day, you know, when they didn't have digital videography. So like the analog stuff, it was, it was almost like, like you had to have that shit down before you got to the studio. Oh, you needed to be like, prepared. You need to be prepared. You know, what's funny you say that, I kind of noticed, and I'm sure you've been an artist for a long time and you've you've dabbled in mixing and mastering, so I'm sure you kind of have the same sentiment I do, but I always like it. I listen to music differently now in a for way. For sure. And it's almost a curse, right? Because before yeah. I'd listen to a song and I'm like, oh, it's a great catchy song. I like the riff they did on the guitar. But now it's like, I'm like finding myself being like, you know, pretentious, like, why did they do that with the kick drum? Was that yeah. purposeful? Or do you think that he just didn't get that frequency right? And I'm sure you kind of hear that too when you're listening to music now, right? Absolutely. And I think what I hear a lot more now is placement, where I yeah. think of songs in that where that box, yeah. that realm of the 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 top to bottom, left to right, front to back. Yeah. So I hear I hear volume different. I hear equalization different. Mm -hmm. I hear uh, panning choices and creative decisions like that. Yeah. I hear a lot of that and layering. I hear a lot yeah. of like layering differently where it's like hearing the vocal tracks and how many tracks they got, mm -hmm. listening to where they place the harmonies, listen to how much reverb they have. Do they have reverb on yeah. all the tracks and little Same things thing. like that where I, I hear things a little bit more analytically yeah. in a way. It's weird, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so it is kind of like a gift and a curse. Yeah. And I feel like it's a... Uh, 
ultimately like makes us better at what we do because we Hearing can more of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. almost hear the examples of other people that are actually doing yeah. this at a high level and being able to almost dissect it. Yes, that's Just, the yeah. perfect word. I, I yeah. find myself, I got some crazy like gear at home, right? Like I've got speakers all like my, my bedroom looks like, like a, like a, like a guitar center, dude. It's Fuck, crazy, yeah. dude. <laughs> I love that. But I'll find myself listening to like Harry Styles, for example, his Ooh, new album. Oh my God. Harry Styles? Yeah. I love that album, Me dude. too. It's so good. They recorded it in um, California. I forget the name of the studio, but it's it's a super famous, I think it's, um, I don't, I'll have to look into it, but. The engineers are working on that. So fucking good, Exactly. Dude. Yeah. So I kind of find myself getting lost and listening to that and dissecting it. And it's like, I can't find anything like that I would have done differently because yeah. I can't even do what they're doing because they're so yeah. good at it. Yeah. But then I'll go listen to some older songs from like, I don't know, like the seventies. And then I can hear like where they cut the tape. You know yeah. what I mean? I can hear when like they didn't turn down the guitar fast enough. And you can, you know, those little things. And I love it. I love getting lost and dissecting it. Yeah, dude. And it's funny that you say that because even on like, uh, well, first off, Harry Styles album that like, I think the way that they did that, it was so minimal, but I think that ended up yes. making it better and it allowed it's, things yeah. to breathe it's and open. the mix was so yeah. full and loud. And and it was like, if you like dissect it, like we're saying, yeah. there's not much going on. There's not. And it's like, and his voice just carries, yeah. bro. And a you lot know, of live instruments and live drums. And I'm like, oh, this shit is so good. You know what I heard? They didn't actually use too much crazy stuff. They for his vocals, which I think are the strong point of that album, like you said. Absolutely. They went through like a 1073 and then like an Avalon preamp, something yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. But the room he tracked his vocals in was actually made for um recording for like deaf impairment. So oh. it's the most like soundproof room that exists. I, I don't know what it was, it was something for like deaf people, um, just pure silence. And that's how they got that fidelity and clarity out of his vocals, which wow. it's incredible, man. Yeah. I mean, that probably just allowed them to have a little bit more flexibility because it was just it's recorded clear. so well. Clean, yeah. Yo. And then like the like the post effects past that just allowed them to be a little bit more, I guess, analytical with it. Mm -hmm. And like placement was yeah. huge for that album. I feel like placement is huge and like their their use of panning, equalization yeah. and volume. I think those were the things that stood out yeah. to me the most where it's just like, there's not much going on, but what they did with it made it just top of the line, dude. Yeah. And I think that's for sure one of the best albums like released in the past few years. Me too. I like- Sonically. I, yeah, sonic, sonically specifically, but then also creatively as well. I mean, Harry Styles is a, a, man. He's a fucking man. I love and him, dude. He only works with a few songwriters. I and know. like a lot of them are the guys that worked on the record. I know. So it's cool. like- it's I. I kind of get the sense that he kind of sees it like you and I do. Like community is like the people he's been around. He yeah. works with, the, you know, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool to see that even on the biggest stage possible, you know. And you know who else does that? Taylor Swift. For sure. She's always with Jack Antonoff. Um, and then a couple, like the, her same core guys that she's been with at the beginning. Yeah. And it's cool to see that the biggest stage possible. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Cool. And I, I, man, it's cool to know that, that those are, we're talking top of their game of their artists. Game. Yep. And they are the ones that are like keeping the the squad tight, and it's, like it's always been the same people. It's like what we were just talking about. Music com is community. And right. that, that's their circle. We have ours. You yeah, know? and it's cool to see that for sure, know? dude. But I'm sure there's artists out there and on the like top one percent that you know who's the next songwriter you can get me with. They don't. They don't yeah. really have any loyalty to anyone. But it's cool to know that there are those few. 
that kind of see it like us, you know? Yeah, the ones that are at the top of the game, it seems like they've kind of had their crew yeah. though. So I yeah. think that's why I, like, I love that we've always had such a tight group of people around us that's like, once we're all popping that's, it'll be like yo say. we've been we've been was, homies for 20 years i was dog. gonna say what do we know about data and it looks like we might be on that trend right <laughs> yeah, exactly just that's based so off funny. of historical facts here that's right dude no i i love it man um this is awesome by the way i feel like yo like you said earlier it's like no time has passed know, bro. bro it's like just the homies we dude can just talk about anything with you bro it's awesome and i just knew that day i met you bro i was like this dude's so down to earth man Fuck yeah man you were just so cool we were talking like watches and shit and i was like this guy is so cool bro I and i was it. bummed that you know we didn't get to link up with everything going on i know you were in michigan for a while and I, you know, I was going through my stuff, but we'll have to link up again sometime soon, man. And, Please. And keep you posted with all the stuff I'm working on. And you never know, I might be mixing and mastering something you got up your sleeve, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, for sure. I'd love to at least like try to do something yeah. like, or, got you know, to, even right. to like come over to your crib with Check like some out. stems or yeah. something like that. And then just kind of see what yeah. we can do, you know, and just. I love it. Yeah. I, mean, I just bought the uh, Yamaha NS10s. Oh, know, the classic. I got them, bro. I found Dude. some, I found some nice ones that were uh, slightly used. Yeah. I mean, they don't it's hard to anymore. find. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to find ones that aren't slightly used. And they say that one thing about the NS10s is if you can make it sound good on here, it's going to sound good on anything. Exactly. And it's because it's like a very balanced, uh, yeah speaker and that's, it's it's that, not like too heavy in the right. bass it's not too yeah. heavy in the tweet they don't sound great though don't yeah. get me wrong like if you played something like harry Styles sounds really good on there right and taylor swift sounds really good on there but if like you find something you're like this doesn't sound right and it's because they like they didn't whoever you know mixed it didn't keep that into account for it to translate on all different you know sound options so. right and that's another thing with mixing and mastering like when you start playing it on the jbl speaker right on the the krk speakers and then also the yamaha speakers and then also like little yep. things like the the genelex you know like yeah. those like kind of having these different reference the speakers yeah oh for sure headphones uh like the um i i heard from um uh it was either j cole or one of j cole's engineers he was talking about how the best reference speakers are like the classic uh, Apple headphones. Oh, the wired ones. The wired ones. I've read that too. Yeah, yeah where I've it's just like that's thing. one of the best reference speakers. And then obviously the car tests, yeah. you know, and all that stuff. Car and test. Like that's just classics. Like you got to make so sure it sounds funny. good across all platforms yeah. because it's almost like the reason why they do that is because that's how people are hearing it. Yep, you know, it's true. People are listening to it on their phone. They got to be able to make yes. sure it sounds good on the phone. Correct. Nobody's listening to the same thing on the same speakers. It's crazy to think about how many devices there are out there and you got to try to translate them to all of them. Yeah, dude. And that's that's part of the art. It and is, it's like, yeah. it's part of the art. And it's like... And the frustration. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, dude. No, I've had like those uh, HS5s I've there. I've got a set too. Those, I great. love them, yeah, dude. I love them. Great. And I got, I paired it with the uh, the HS8S, the uh, subwoofer. Yeah. Yeah. Clean. So it's like, I got the trifecta there and that's yeah. been my, those, I, I bought those speakers um, a week after I moved out here. Oh, amazing. The, uh, the at least yeah. the, um, the the monitors and then i didn't get the sub until i was uh i was already in the band and it was yeah. like 2018 so it was probably about like three years they're after. gonna last you another 20 years bro those yamahas sure. are crazy man dude the, and i'll never forget this when i when i went to guitar center to buy them yeah uh they had the 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 monitor controls so yeah, like yeah, they yeah. basically hooked up a bunch of monitors you to a switch a and yeah. a b test yep, I've got and that. i will never forget this shit man because the guy that i was at the time he was probably just you know really knowledgeable in the world like but he probably i don't know if he was like a mixing engineer but 
the way that he showed me the difference between oh. uh, specifically the KRK rockets yeah, and then the, the Yamaha argument. HS5s. Yeah. Night and day, You dude. get too much bass with the KRKs. It's muddy, right? 100%. Yeah. And at the time, I'll never forget this, man, because when in Michigan, when I first started making beats, yeah. I had a homie that um, I had, he featured on one of my early records, mm -hmm. and it was like when I was just making beats and just rapping on them with my friends and stuff. Yeah. He was really good, uh, like rapper slash uh, melodic kind of okay. guy where he had really good tone and stuff, and he had a little setup himself. Mm -hmm. That his um his his dad helped him build in almost like a, it was like a closet space, mm -hmm. but it was like a little bit bigger than a closet space. But then he built the glass. Oh wow, it was legit. Uh, it was legit. So it was like it was yeah. small, but mm -hmm. like he had his own little isolation mm -hmm. booth, and that was the first time I'd ever seen that. And I was yeah. like, this is crazy. And he had yeah, the KRKs, and uh, he actually sold me my first MIDI keyboard, the Axiom sixty one M Audio. Oh. That was basically like the older version of yeah. that one that I have right there. Yeah. I love that one right classic, there. But dude. the classic Axiom. 61 he sold that to me but he had the krk mm -hmm. uh the five inch krks so that was almost like my first um because before that i was working on m audio bx5 yeah dude the, so it's like they're actually not bad for what they are for their price range they're not i still have them in michigan yeah. they're like my uh my backups whenever i go to michigan yeah, i'll still there, i cool. still have Hook like my own little yeah. yeah but um but i always remember like that was when I moved out, I was like, maybe I should get some KRKs. Level, right? Like I yeah. should level up to the KRKs yeah. or whatever. Like this is what hip hop guys are using or whatever. And then as soon as he showed me the A-B test, I was like, dude, it sounds like there's a towel over the speaker. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> do you want to know crazy. something funny? So I, Westland's current stuff that we've been working on. So Jared has the KRKs. Oh. Kevin has the KRKs. <laughs> and I have the Yamaha HS5s and the NS10s and then some other stuff. So it's so funny to hear it translate between Jared and Kevin. Then when it comes to me, it's like way too much bass. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah, dude. That's funny, dude. But it's almost like they were built like that. Like That's they what were, they wanted. Yeah, yeah, they wanted that mm -hmm. to almost be a little bit more hip-hop, R&B right. um, yep. focused speakers. Yeah. And it was to tailor to that audience. Yeah. And um, But when it comes down to like a fundamental mixing standpoint, you're it's just like, you're not going to, yeah, you're not going to, it's not going to translate across all yeah. genres. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget that. So like, I, I love those speakers to fucking death, man. And I just, you know, <laughs> They're great. I, I take care of them. And I think that's the best way to, you know, keep things uh, like good. You know, you just take care of them and well, you care about them. That's the coolest thing about gear too, man. You can really tell like the high quality music gear that's made because it's from the 70s and 80s and it's still for sale today and it's still working, you know? Yeah. And I just love that. And I love buying like used vintage stuff because you can kind of just be like, this had so many stories before it got to me. And yeah. if I take good care of this, maybe it'll tell more stories, you know? Yeah, dude. I mean, that the NS10s, that's yeah. like the, everyone talks about how that was the staple. Yeah. Like when you still go to professional studios, they got them. They got them from the eighties, <laughs> bro. Yeah, dude. Like it's I, cool. uh, I remember there was a, uh, when, when I was doing research and I saw a photo of you recording in Nashville yeah. with, with Dave, they had NS tens in that Did studio. They, you caught yeah. That? Yeah, I didn't dude. even realize that. I might have to go back and look, but you know, I think they did. Yeah. I'll put the picture in post <laughs> so you can like, when we're talking about it, you can be like, Oh shoot. Those yes. are the NS tens. <laughs> yeah, right that's there. funny. I haven't really hooked mine, got mine dialed in yet, but, I'm, I'm, I'm really nervous because it's gonna like it's all about treatment and setting them up correctly because they're gonna be my my near fields yeah reference right and uh, I'm just so worried man they're so old like you could tell whoever had them they, one of the speakers is like pushed in oh yeah. yeah and I hate that dude you can um you can use um you can use something to to try yeah? and suck that back okay. out um 
I uh my Dyson V11, bro. Dude, <laughs> just hook up the suction. <laughs> just suck it right. Up. Let me know though. Send me that because Dude, I, uh, you know my OCD. It's like, damn it. Yeah, and it's like the the woofer yeah. actually. Okay, yeah. I mean that might be a little tougher because one time my my tweeter um got pushed on in Yamaha. Not on my Yamaha because oh. the Yamaha has the the grill over the tweeter. Yeah. Um, but um, my M Audio BX5 uh, back in Michigan, I had them downstairs and um. My mom runs a daycare. Oh, you know kid. where this story is going. Yeah. So it's just like it was one of those things where she just didn't realize that they were oh, by them, and then damn. they just fucking boop. Did you get it out? Yeah, and I I forgot how I did it, man. And it was almost like um, I'm trying to remember, man. But I um, I was able to f- like bring it out, and it was like one of those things where it didn't affect the audio quality, but like visually, I'm just like. <laughs> In your head, dude. I know. Uh, I'm the especially because I'm out here. So when she told me that that happened, I'm like, no, I can't help it. Way. You feel helpless. Yeah. yeah, I was like, no That's way, funny, dude. dude. That's the same thing with me though, because like visually, like I, I legit have OCD, and so like I'm buying this used gear, and I like sit there and like I'm scrubbing these little scratches, and I'm like, why do I buy it? Why do I torture myself like this? You know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. bro? Buy all this stuff and then refurbish it yeah, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do in my spare time now dude I love it man I I uh, I love like having conversations like this because I'm a nerd dude yeah. when it comes to this stuff and I know you are too yeah. and it's like we've been in this for a decade plus yeah. at this point and you know from our childhood we've been in music and <laughs> writing and, and just loving it and so yeah it's it's cool to like have conversations with someone who's just as passionate yep. as, as as I am, man. Um, so before we start to wrap up, I want to talk about uh, one thing that is a uh, a big part of your life, mm-hmm. Rico the Boston Terrier. <laughs> I want to yes, talk about that, and, Rico, because I remember, I um, of course, man. No, Rico's the goat, man. He's uh, he's about how old is he now? He just turned twelve. He so just he's getting tw- old, but man, I tell you, dude, he's still got so much energy, dude. Like at night, it's always at night when I'm trying to mellow out and like watch The Sopranos or. Or like 90 day fiance or something he's like ready to play and i'm like dude you're like 88 years old like dude what are you doing man but he's dude he's been through everything with me he's right. actually been on one of our tours with us yeah he went on our big one when we got the our first bus so he rented a bus man. and uh, he was on the bus with us he got to go to the golden gate bridge and uh, he's seen oh there's a much, picture of you walking yeah, with him with on Rico. the bridge yeah. yeah it's on his instagram yeah <laughs> and you know I, I, boston. I met somebody who had a boston terrier and i was like you know this dog's seen like 12 states or something and she's like the dog's seen more states than me and i just <laughs> i thought about that and i'm so grateful i got those opportunities to bring him with me you know yeah um, we actually made him a we took him to like service dog training so he could oh, come uh, on to yeah so he's technically a service dog he's got a vest to prove it uh, he's got a vest yeah. and a badge it's <laughs> a little low-key sketch but we don't worry about it but uh He's dude. He's awesome, man. He's been through so much with me, and he's still hanging tough. And and uh, I'll tell him you said hi when I get home. For <laughs> sure, man. Tell him I said hi. Tell him Theo said hi. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I uh, I wanted to talk about it because when I was doing research, I saw like you were on the hunt for a Boston Terrier. I like was. why? Why? What was it about Boston Terriers that okay, wanted so that you wanted to find? This one? is funny. I can't. I don't even know why I remember this, but this was like back in the Vine days. Oh yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. And this was what, like 2013, maybe 2013 or 14. There was this, there was this Boston Terrier. I can't remember his name, but he was Vine famous, and he was a trip. And I was, and I then I was like, dude, that's a cool dog, you know? Like I feel like I was ahead on the Boston Terriers because <laughs> yeah, they're all over the place, bro. But I was first. <laughs> but I, uh, trendsetter, great. I bro. am, damn it. So I saw the, um, 
I saw this dog and I started researching and I learned that Boston Terriers are actually really like mellow dogs past a certain age. And um, they're really emotional and they are really compassionate. And I was like, dude, that sounds pretty cool. Like I could probably use that in my life right now. Yeah. Kind of mellow me out. And uh, I got Rico. I rescued Rico, believe it or not. And uh, I got him for like 300 bucks. Dang, how old was he at the time? He was barely three. He had just turned three. Okay, so he's still young. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I got him and I brought him home and he was just like cool. Like he was ready to be my dog like it almost felt like a like a match made in heaven yeah you know? like he was meant to be mine Dude. i was meant to get him and he's been great but i'm kind of on that boston terrier gang now my fiance yeah. she had a uh miniature wiener dog dachshund he's yeah. so cute his name's charlie charlie the weenie on instagram nice and, uh, it's such a comparison to see his breed versus rico she still has him? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's so with they, both of us. Yeah, they get they, along. They yeah, they're together. good. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. They, we had some growing pains at first. Rico had to yeah. put him in his place a couple <laughs> times. And like, this, hey, I was around first, you know? Right, the but territorial they, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But they once they got that figured out, they get along. And it's so funny to see their personalities, man. And it's, yeah. it's great. Dogs are great. 100%, dude. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I've, I've had Theo for probably like five years now. Yeah. And to see his growth and yeah. to see him like become the dog that he is today and then like getting that new puppy Leo yeah. and like bringing him into the equation and then seeing how that affected his personality adapt, and like, yeah. and I, I think dogs are so uh, like human. Yeah. You know, I, are, I see man. a lot of human emotions that yeah. they, that they display a lot more than like a cat or like yeah. any other dog or any other pets, you We're know, a team dog over here. hundred <laughs> percent team dog. No, bro. but I, I Totally yeah. understand what you're saying. And it's fascinating to see how they can also pick up on our personality. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really special. Like, yes, bro. They can read our emotions yeah, for and sure. then they react in like the same way that like a human yeah. would react. Or should. Or should, you <laughs> they, know. Yeah. People should take some notes from dogs and, for and sure. their awareness. It's, it's, it's actually pretty cool. That's the word. And I think they're very aware of like energy and yeah. they're very... Uh, and that's, it's funny because there's only been a couple people in Theo's existence that he's barked at. Really? And hate to say it, the people that he's barked Might at, it. bad energy, bro. <laughs> bad energy. That's and it's fascinating. Like, and huh? I felt bad energy from them. So then when Theo barked at them, it was it, just this like, it was light. just like, yep. you know. It's like you it's, know that you know that that person made, is not. He's made this decision. I stand behind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny you said that. He yeah. didn't bark at me when I came in. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the thing where he's a loving dog, yeah. and he's like you know everyone loves him, and he's never been the one to like jump all mm -hmm. over you necessarily yep. or bark at people and be super annoying. And well, I just, think yeah, he's your judge, your character. If someone comes in, he's barking like, "Hey, something came up. You got yeah. to go." <laughs> it's like, can we reschedule it? Exactly. That's <laughs> funny, man. Yeah, dude. No, I. Uh, but I, I wanted to touch on that because like yeah. uh, Theo's a big part of my life as I know yeah, Rico's a big same. part of your life and it's seen you grow and um, you know he's been a part of Along for the ride. stories yeah. you know and he's got some stories yeah dude and it's like he's now he's now going into you getting married yeah. and like all that and so I uh, I love that man I so I, I had to bring that up Thank you. Um, so then to wrap up I want to talk about uh, moving forward for Westland I yes. know you, you said you guys got a couple songs coming out here at the end of the month yep um, and then you're taking a, a pause on uh, on shows and stuff. For yes, now, for you're now. not necessarily mm -hmm. performing yet. But um, yeah, just kind of talk about the stuff that you guys coming up got yep. coming out. So we've got two uh, tracks that I mixed and mastered that we're really proud of that are coming out. I think January 26th. Yep. So I think this will be a couple days Ooh, ago. Ooh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, perfect timing. That's perfect timing. Yes. Fuck so yeah. Go listen to that. Now. <laughs> yes. Go listen to and, that. Um, and then after that, we've already started working on some really cool stuff. A little bit out of our like comfort zone. A little bit. I'd say 
more poppy than we're comfortable with. We're trying to try different things. And guess what? We're independent. We can. Yes. So we get that freedom. Flexibility, yeah. And um, we're going to see where that goes. And there's been talks about us doing a full length. We've never done a full length. Can you believe that? Really? All the music we've put out, we've put like out EPs? singles, 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 EPs, EPs, never a full length. So we, Jared's this is always your debut. To, this is this could be it. <laughs> this is your and, debut. And, and, you know you got to do it self-titled, right? Dude, we've never wow. done self-titled either. So we'll see. But we've got a lot of stuff in, in store for 2024. And then obviously I'm, I'm working on my side hustle with mixing and working with other artists too. So staying busy, man. And, and I appreciate you having me here. Dude. dude, of course, man. I appreciate you taking the time. This has just flowed so well. It's yeah. like we, we hit the time like easily without even thinking about it and <laughs> dude i know right it's like we could talk forever but yeah. i think that's like the best types yeah. of uh people to bring on and like people that share the same passion in in their own way mm -hmm. that like i have my own passions about my art yeah so I, I love having these conversations and especially like hearing your stories from the beginning to yeah. now it's just it's beautiful man I so no this has been amazing and everyone please go follow westland online and what's the handle is it at westland music, music? Yep, okay at yeah westland music yeah and that's on uh twitter and on instagram, instagram yep. yeah and youtube as well so on youtube yeah go check, check them out. out go listen to them on apple music <laughs> on spotify go follow greg at greg o three h's three h's <laughs> yeah that's uh, if you know greg you know he goes by grego that's awesome that's, that's, that's stuck for sure dude it's a dope ass name and like if you ever make your own solo like stuff yeah, or like any solo it, right? it's got to be grego like for sure like, <laughs> thank you but um but yeah my fellow martians thank you so much for listening go follow greg go follow westland follow at on mars pod on instagram and we'll see you guys next time on mars love you Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in and watching this episode of the On Mars Pod and for sticking around to the end, man. I really appreciate you guys. You are the real Martians. Like this video, comment below what your favorite part was, what was most inspiring to you. Subscribe to the channel, hit that bell for notifications here on future interviews coming out soon. And also follow us on Instagram at On Mars Pod. Love you guys so much. We will see you next time on Mars.